When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Now, here's Frank Morano. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Moreno. Well, we have an embarrassment of riches when it comes to talk topics today. And uh, we have the added benefit of having uh, a really interesting collection of people to discuss them with for the next hour and uh, for the next four hours as well. We are in the midst of... A whole bunch of interesting stories, and you're going to hear about them all. Uh, Here to guide us through them for the next hour are two of my favorites, two people who happen to be friends of mine in real life, a veteran media producer, satirist, and social critic, Marlena Shivo. Hello, Marlena. Welcome back. Try that word again. Critic. Critic. (laughs) Critic. Critic. (laughs) Critic. And uh, we have the man who, the activist who led the charge to have the Port Authority change the Christmas decorations on the Holland Tunnel, and the host of a, an internet show on Hard Seltzer, uh, the one and only Corey Windelspeck. Hello, Corey. Uh, that's a claim to fame right there, right? That's right. Uh, 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 now, uh, to, in order to kind of sweeten the pot and incentivize both Marlena and Corey to uh, be a little bit more you know, interesting than they otherwise would be, is we have these brand new... Uh, other side of midnight with Frank Morano wow. travel mugs. These are really, really neat. Now you could see them if you go to wabcradiostore.com. dot com. They are made in China, but they are very, very nice nonetheless. They've got our new logo on them and everything, and uh, they're really neat. So wh- whoever you, the listeners, decide does a better job handling the conversation over the course of the next hour, <laughs> they will be awarded. Um, not having this mug. And the loser <laughs> will get this other side of Midnight Travel mug. But if you want one, just go to WABCRadioStore.com. All right. Uh, Marlena, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. I, I understand you actually had a minor traffic incident, and we, <laughs> we might be somewhat to blame for this. And this is officially fake news because I got a, um, a legal notice in the mail from the city of Hoboken saying that I had an unpaid parking ticket uh, from December, this past December, and, and, and also a failure to appear in court. And I haven't been in Hoboken since 2016. Even though I do live in the state of New Jersey, I have not actually been to Hoboken since 2016. It was not me. Apparently, whoever wrote this ticket or punched in this ticket put in my license plate number. 
And obviously all my information came up, so they have my address, and they sent me this notice. I called there, and it turns out the vehicle description does not match mine whatsoever. But regardless, I still have to prove that I was not in Hoboken on December 27th at 1.30, violating the alternate side parking rules. Wow. 1.30 a.m. or p.m.? PM. Wow. So, w- what are you going to do to prove that you weren't there? When do, do you... they clean the streets at one a.m.? I, I don't know. I do mean... you know what alternate street parking yeah, rules are? Wh- wh- how do you prove that you weren't in a place? Well, when I spoke to the one woman who actually was at first, I didn't seem was didn't seem helpful, but actually turned out to be very <laughs> helpful. You basically just have to prove that the car that they wrote in on the citation is not the same car as yours. So. I didn't want to send them my registration card because that's what she suggested. Mm. And I'm like, well, why would I give you all of my information? Like, this almost feels like a scam to me, and I just don't even want to give into it. So instead, I had to fill out a plea, email it back. I actually copied the the citation from online and, and sent that with that description and then took a picture of the back of my car um, showing what my vehicle actually is and my license plate number. That's incredibly bizarre. And by the way, it's still ongoing. I got an email from this woman today saying, I sent all of your materials up. The deadline is tomorrow, by the way, for this. Um, And she said, um, you know, feel free to follow up tomorrow to, to get an update. Jeez. On a situation that's a lot I had. of work for a typo, I, I, I know. That's right. Now, Corey, you have some experience with that part of New Jersey. Yes. Is this par for the course for what they uh, do? Hoboken parking is the worst. It's like literally the worst place you could ever want to park a car. Mm-hmm. Everything worse about than New it, York? It's worse, way worse than New York because everything about it is impossible to do. And it's such a small area, and there's so many people, everyone's trying to get a spot. So the signs are confusing. The alternate parking is confusing. Sometimes if you're on Washington Street, you got to back in. If you pull in head first, uh, you get a ticket for that. Uh, they feel like they just make rules uh, as they go. Uh, well, that's awful. Oh, yeah. absolutely I find it awful. astonishing that with all the big bro- – I mean, but there's three cameras in this room. I mean, there's not a one camera on the street where my car was to prove <laughs> that it wasn't my vehicle. It is, it is a little amazing. All right, let me – let's delve into some of the issues we're going to get into for the next hour. Uh, let's begin with this. The latest in terms of this Spotify drama. Now, uh, Joe Rogan is a podcaster, the most popular podcaster in the world. And uh, there are no shortage of artists that have now demanded their music be pulled off Spotify because Joe Rogan is hosting people that are uh, putting out misinformation on COVID. Now, the head of Spotify in spite of this uh, this video that was revealed of Joe Rogan using the N-word, a compilation of him using the N-word over the course of the last 12 years, Joe, they said they're not taking Joe Rogan off, but they did decide to remove 70 to 100 of these Joe Rogan episodes that are on Spotify. Your reaction to this whole Spotify situation, Marlene? I know you are a free speech fundamentalist. I, <laughs> I sure am. Um, I think that it's great that they didn't pull him off the air because, you know, so many people would. Um, I know that pulling 70 episodes or whatever is not exactly um, all in, but it's definitely better than firing the guy. I do. I did find it humorous that people like Neil Young and Joni Mitchell were protesting. And I'm like, is anybody going to miss Joni Mitchell 
whatsoever. You wouldn't even have noticed they didn't announce it. <laughs> but apparently, Neil Young, they did play a lot of his music on Spotify. One of the them being thing. Keep On Rocking in the Free World. <laughs> the, man, <laughs> the man who now is shutting down free speech. Okay. Well, he's not shutting it down. He's saying he doesn't want his music. He's walking away from free speech. On that platform. Spe- a platform that supports free speech. So he is not rocking in any free world. <laughs> I guess he's not. Uh, Corey, what was your reaction to this whole Spotify situation? I, I thought it was kind of ridiculous because uh, Joe Rogan, I feel like he's he's plays both sides. He has a lot of people on the left. He has people on mm-hmm. the right on. Uh, he uh, Yeah, he has his own thoughts of COVID. But, I mean, he they're taking what the guests were saying, not so much what his thoughts were. And I think his reaction video he came out was really good. He said, yeah, maybe I do have to have, you know, a counterpoint on, like the, the closer to the interview. Now, uh, did Spotify say they're going to slap a, a warning label yes. on some of his episodes? They yeah, are going yeah, yeah. to do that. Yeah, they're right. going to do a warning in the front. He said he's going to try to, you know, if he has someone, you know, way out on one end, he's going to try to have a counterpoint close by so he can have it. The, the situation, though, with, with Joe Rogan and Spotify, they spent $100 million to get him as the exclusive podcast uh, platform for his podcast. Aren't they so invested in this at this point that they really have no choice but to side with him over all these musicians? You have to side with him. You have too much invested in that. And this is yeah. no different than Howard Stern was on FM back in the 90s. He was outrageous, and people didn't want to listen to him. They said, just change the dial. Uh, the only difference is now you have artists pulling off the platform. Uh, you know, Then you have the other side. A lot of comics are now saying, well, if you pull Joe Rogan, we'll pull our podcast off there. So right. it's going to be a, a, a tug of... At some uh, point, you just got to go, we're just going to just have everything on it. Eventually, it will only be Joe Rogan. Okay. Yeah, it's yeah. funny, though. And Did me. you see that and Howard me. Stern was actually trending today on Twitter? Because they, they're like, okay, if we're going to just start throwing darts, let's just throw Howard Stern under the bus with his, you know, some old video of him doing blackface. You know, there's always going to be an old video right. of somebody yeah. doing something. Well, I, I said yesterday about this Eric Adams the, uh, video that surfaced two years ago that I, I'm uh, fully prepared to... Forgive him, not that he's clamoring for my forgiveness, for that video, as long as we uh, extend that same uh, amnesty to everybody that gets caught with a dopey video from a few years ago. I you mean, know? you get caught on dopey video pretty much daily, lately, right? Daily, daily. So, and everybody seems to keep coming back for more. Now, uh, last thing on the on the Spotify situation. One, I had heard that uh, Neil Young was still having his songs air or not air but be available on spotify canada and then the other thing it was reported that um neil young had told spotify workers that the company ceo not joe rogan is the real problem and he was urging them the employees to get out of that place before it eats up your soul that's according to variety now that seems a little excessive to be telling all these employees to quit their jobs. I mean, is he going to hire these people? <laughs> no, but but Rumble might because they did offer they did offer <laughs> to, to 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 bring them over or bring at least Joe Rogan over. Um, but and that's why the CEO of um, Spotify came out today and apologized to the his staff, saying, "I'm really sorry you have to keep going through all of this stress." Although I'm still not going to back down, and Joe Rogan is still going to work here. So I mean, it, it's ridiculous. It's it, it's overdone. Every time I open up Twitter, I see. Joe Rogan trending. I mean, it's uh, very popular. Guy, he's th- really he's this generation's Johnny Carson. 
No, he's not. I think he is. I think he is. There's really no place that you could go on and become an instant national name like you used to be able to do with Johnny Carson in The Tonight Show. Joe Rogan's like the last place. I feel like that Johnny Carson is rolling over in his grave to be compared to Joe Rogan. I mean, in that realm, in that vein, I guess you're right, but. Still. Well, also, in just yeah. in terms of variety of guests that they have on, I mean, Joe Rogan will have on MMA fighters, comedians, scientists, politicians, uh, artists, you know, boxers. Uh, Johnny kind of did the same thing. And now. So does uh, Howard Stern, though. Yeah, that, that's true. That's true. But I don't know that. Um, and I'm a Howard Stern fan, but I don't know that he has that same level of saturation, audience saturation since moving to uh, to Sirius. Uh, last thought on this, Corey. Yeah, I just think it's. I think Spotify just take a hard line in the sand. So they're not going to remove them. They have too much money invested to them, and frankly, they're getting more uh, advertisement for Joe Rogan right now than they ever dreamed of. Maybe it's not what they want, but at the same time, I think more people are going to be downloading those episodes now. Uh, I and think, they also want to probably want to hear those ones that are banned now. I, I'm people sure want that's to hear. true. I'm sure that's true. All right, um, uh, you both had COVID. Thankfully, you both survived it. Now, um, Marlena, you have been adamant, very, very vocal about these COVID restrictions that have been in place in New Jersey, the masking, the uh, vaccine mandates that have taken place in New York. We got some interesting news out of New Jersey yesterday. What happened? Okay, so obviously Phil Murphy uh, decided that he is going to lift the mask mandate um, in all of New Jersey for schools um, as of March 7th. Now, let's remember that Phil Murphy asked to extend his executive um, re overreach by not for 90 days from it's beginning in January because all of his executive powers were going to end uh, as of January 11th. And then, you know, the New Jersey uh, Senate was like, absolutely not. We'll give you 30 days. He's like, no, give me 45. And then they were just at a stalemate. Like they didn't, there was no resolution. So then he decides, oh, I'm just going to, you know, declare a, a state emergency, health emergency, public health emergency in New Jersey, which ends this Friday. Okay, so now everyone's was cl- was clamoring to figure out what he was going to do, and it turns out he is now backing off of the mandate, but I don't trust it. I don't trust it already. Because why if your order is up on Friday, why why are we waiting another month? Now, his excuse was, well, it's March. It'll be warmer weather because, you know, it's so tropical in March. (laughs) In New Jersey. In New Jersey. uh, We will be able to better ventilate the schools at that time. Nonsense. He just had to give an answer because it's such an arbitrary time. Um, Actually, Rita Cosby was on her way out and we were talking about this and and her thought process uh, was she was thinking maybe Biden had something to do with it because of the State of the Union is going to be on March 1st. Oh, that's interesting. And it could be something because he did meet with Biden over the weekend. That was widely publicized. And then he so did that. as it stands now, people still have to wear masks in New Jersey. Right. And yeah. even though all the parents are pre rejoicing about this, but they're also wondering why. And then, of course, I'm a, I'm very cynical and I You're don't tr- and I definitely do not trust Phil Murphy. And I'm like, is this just. A way to buy more time because, you know, if he if say he lifted it this week and then something else came out in the news, there's no way he could reinstate it. Mm, He would just be completely pummeled um, more so than he already has been. And so I think that he is waiting and then it's just giving too much of a margin for a new variant or some other excuse to extend it. So then he never has to, you know, take it away and. Corey, you have a prediction? Does this mask mandate get uh, get extended, or do you think this could be the beginning of 
even blue state governors easing these restrictions a bit. I got a feeling it's going to be extended because I don't know. It's everything over there is just backwards. He, he I'm not a fan, obviously, of uh, what he's been doing. Uh, much like she's saying, I don't trust anything he does personally. So I think at some point you're going to see this thing extended at least until April. Uh, ask for at least another 30 days. Uh, I, for- I, well, I also think this. I also think that now Connecticut was kind of like right. hinting they that they were going to change. Yeah, they're they're sort of like toying with this idea. Um, uh, Phil Mur- Murphy, you know, said it's definitely going to happen on March 7th. And now, although New York's not really budging at the moment, um, I do think that this is a way to sort of soften the reputation for the midterms, even though what they don't realize is that they're they're dead in the water. I mean, I know oh, the that Democrats, you mean? the Dems. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's going to be a blood bloodbath. People like me who were always down the middle, who who leaned left, have completely lost their minds and have flipped to the other side completely. There's like I can't tell you how many people have told me um, that they extensions of people that I know and people that. I, I know personally, and, and it goes so far beyond that people are just flipping all the way. I hate these things. I'm taking them off. Right, so anyway, um, yeah. So I don't Unless think, anyone I don't think, and wonder do what Marlena was referring to. <laughs> She's talking about her headphones. Yes, not my undergarments. Right? Not my arm. Yes. Right. So yeah. But so anyway, I just do think that they're trying to save their reputation for midterms, and it's not going to work. It is too little, too late. I think they got a warning sign in, in, in his general election too. I mean, he won by such a slim margin; he mm. almost lost that. So maybe he's maybe they would lift it just to try to figure out, hey, we got to get some of those swing voters back over because we almost lost this thing. We're going to continue with Marlena Shivo and Corey Windelspeck in mere moments, and uh, we're going to cover a wide variety of uh, of news, including Hugh Hefner, the guy's dead for years now, still making news. And could a casino be coming to New York City? How are you going to celebrate Valentine's Day? We'll get some uh, advice from Marlena and Corey. And some signs that a job interview could be leading to something toxic. We'll explore all that and a whole lot more on the other side of Midnight. Straight ahead. WABC. You're hearing things. You're hearing things. On 77 WABC. Elton John singing Island Girl. Uh, somebody invited me to an Elton John concert uh, in the future, but I don't really want to go to anything. I'll be honest. I, I, you could just listen to the music. Uh, I don't really, I've never really saw the allure of concerts, quite frankly. Although, believe it or not, one of the people that did tell me 
that they were just in awe of Elton John after seeing him the night before at a concert was Donald Trump. He and Melania had gone to see Elton John, and I happened to be with him the next day, and he was going on and on about what a phenomenal performer Elton John uh, was uh, in person. So who knows? Perhaps I will reconsider. We are uh, really lucky for the hour to be joined by two of my all-time favorite guests and two people who happen to be real-life friends of mine. Both happen to be COVID survivors. We have uh, Corey Windelspeck, probably best known as the uh, originally as the activist who led the charge to have the Holland Tunnel change their Christmas decorations. Uh, these days, he's uh, best known for having a very beautiful girlfriend who's in the dog food business. <laughs> and uh, Marlena Shivo, who is a uh, regular guest on this program, a veteran media producer, so uh, satirist and critic of all things related to COVID restrictions. Now, let me ask both of you about this. Both of you lived in both New York and New Jersey. New York City happens to be the one, the largest untapped casino market in the entire country. And now the race is on to build a casino in New York City, full-fledged casino, not electronic table games, not video lottery terminals, the whole nine yards, table games, and so forth. They're considering Times Square. They're considering City Field. They're considering the Hudson Yards. Corey, your take on a casino for New York City? I think it's a great idea, personally. I'm a lover of Atlantic City, so I hate to see the business leave Atlantic City. But, I mean, there's no secret the economic impact it's going to have would be huge. I mean, uh, even in Schenectady, New York, uh, a couple of years back, they opened Rivers Casino up there. Everyone said, oh, my God, it's going to cripple the city. People are going to take their paychecks and waste it there. And now Schenectady has now come back to life. Well, and, but, I mean, in fairness to Schenectady, yeah. Schenectady was in a little bit of a different position than New York City was, right? I mean, people are coming to New York City it, and coming to Times Square anyway, whether there's a casino there or not. I'm not sure that could well, be said Well, at Times Square, it's one thing. You put it in City Field, I mean, people are going out to Flushing uh, every now and then just for no reason other than to go gambling. Well, uh, right, and, and the 81 home games that the yeah. New York Metropolitans <laughs> play there. So you're all you're all about this. You're, I'll be all, you're all for it, all, yeah, 100%. All uh, Marlena, what's your take? Oh, because you know how much I love gambling. Well, I, I think know, it's a I great know. Well, that's idea. Why I, uh, no, I, I'm, uh, you are a, uh, you're a gambling skeptic, I think, is best, you know, or, or a critic, I guess, right? But so sure. what do you think about this as a... Well, it depends on where they put it. Like, if they put it in Hudson Yards, that's convenient, and that's way more convenient for me than Atlantic City if I were to frequent a casino for whatever reason. And um, I don't think that it would, quote, cripple the city. I think it would only actually, at this point, make it somewhat better and, and somewhat more of a reason to come here, because right now the city is... a. I'm sorry, but it's a disaster. It is not what it used to be. And people are not in Times Square. They are not coming here for anything. There's nothing to do, and there's too many restrictions. Right, but, and you think uh, casino gambling might, might help that? Well, it's going to take a while to build. By the time they actually implement this and build it and get all the approvals for it, it's probably going to be five years. Right. Well, so, but if you do have an increased prevalence of casino gambling, just like we've seen now with online Sports betting. New York has now that we've had legalized sports betting for a month. We've already set a world record for the most sports best ever bets ever placed. More people are going to gamble. More people are going to lose their money. And doesn't that mean more New Yorkers are going to be basically in poverty? And then we taxpayers 
are going to have to foot the bill for social services for those. People, That's been right? the argument every time they open one of these. But well, they, isn't they, it always? But you got to look at the fifty thousand jobs it could also right. bring in. So there's a yin and a yang to both sides of it. That, that's okay. And look, and you know, and if things don't work out for you or W W A B C, there's your fallback. <laughs> you could you could be um, what do they call a pit boss? Uh, I'm not sure I'm qualified to be a pit boss, <laughs> I, and I'm not sure. Also, you can't gamble at the places that you that you work at. So I'm not sure I'd want to I'd want to you know for it being able to play craps at one of these I'm sure you, you t- I feel like you would find a loophole somehow. <laughs> I mean, would it bring more people to the city or just give somebody in the city another thing to do? I mean, I don't know if it's going to be a big draw for the city, but well, well speaking of New York City, there, there's a claim that the vaccine mandates for restaurants, for theaters and elsewhere are they are hurting business and they're hurting tourism in new york city do we have any data to back this up or and personal data if you'd like that sure we'll take it i mean because the best we can have well right? so, so for, i go for work i take people out to entertain uh, a lot of times and there have been a lot of times in the past six months maybe where we would go to like maybe a, a restaurant in new york but people one or two people in the party wouldn't be vaccinated so we couldn't get them in so, I mean, I've done more dinners in Hoboken, Weehawken, Jersey City before you go into the city uh, just for that reason. And I'm just one person. I would bet I probably spent three, $4,000 alone just in restaurants in New Jersey that I never would have went there prior to this That's lockdown. That's pretty interesting. The, have you experienced that same thing? Well, a, a lot of things have kept me out of New York. And, yes, the, the mandates are ridiculous. And, I mean, there are ways around it, and I won't talk about how that that, that what that is but um but who wants to who wants to deal with that and i'm definitely not ever going to another broadway show, show or bringing my kids to go see the rockettes masked you know that has to go away i'm not interested in it whenever i see people posting pictures of themselves at a broadway show holding up a playbill and everybody's masked, it I'm is like, that doesn't look like yeah. fun. it really is and you know it's, it's, my wife's uh, birthday is in march and we usually go see a uh you know, a show or something and i don't really want to sit and see a show for 90 minutes Masked. I mean, no. I, I really do hope that New York is the next place where some of these restrictions get uh, get lifted. Hey, speaking of uh, vaccines and all this stuff, comedian Heather McDonald mm. had an interesting experience making some jokes about the about the vaccine. Marlena, what exactly happened? The timing was unbelievable. So Heather McDonald was at a comedy club in Arizona, and she was just a few minutes into her set. She was on her second joke, and she talked about being double-vaxxed, boosted, had the flu vaccine and the shingles vaccine, and she hasn't had COVID, and yada, yada, boom, she falls on the floor. No one reacts immediately because they thought it was part of her act. I would, too. Sure. Uh, Yeah, because the timing was unbelievable. She really did just completely get dizzy, passed out, and fractured her skull and had to go to the hospital. (laughs) Yeah. But we don't think this is tied to the vaccine or anything. I mean, I'm sure there will be people who will tie it to the vaccine, um, but... It was definitely tied to a vaccine joke. <laughs> that's there you go. That's, that's all we know. See, that's an area of uh, health concern that we hear very little about, the hazards of joking about vaccines, yeah. Corey. That's, that's, the, that's the uh, one way. That's why she kept explaining, oh, I'm vaxxed, I'm vaxxed, I'm vaxxed. And, and, and to fall in the middle, that was probably the most comical part of all this. <laughs> See, right. being a comic, yeah. as you know, Marlena, and, and you've done comedy too, right, yeah. Corey? Yeah. You don't still do it, though. Uh, no, not really. You're doing strictly hard I do, do, Yeah, I just do strictly just more. 
creative things off stage now, I guess. You well, well, give me some examples of some of the more creative things off stage. Uh, just some side work's doing. Got a Seltzer show on the internet. How and, can people see that, by the way? Uh, so we're la- we're launching like a full launch again this summer. So you'll be able to watch it on YouTube and we'll be uh, launching there. But right now we're just on social medias with Facebook and Instagram, uh, The Seltzer Show. Uh, they should search The, Sol- the, the Seltzer, Seltzer show. show. Yeah. So it started off as a goof during the pandemic and then slowly companies started sending me free stuff. I got, well, that's pretty cool. And then we just started doing it, and um, people seem to like it. And now the most I'm not pop- really sure why, because this, this Seltzer team's kind of come and gone, but we're going to keep it alive as much as we can. Well, especially it's tough during the winter. It's very, very much considered sort of a summertime. It's definitely, but like Mountain Dew just came out with their own seltzer. So that's wow. a big thing. I've already gotten like 20 messages on that. Hey, you're going to try this? So we're going to be hopefully Mountain Dew's going to be sending us that. And you've said that uh, White Claw's reputation is at the top of the heap is well-deserved. At- Hundred percent. You can't. You can't match it. And everything they do, they branch off. Every time they do something, it's it's number one. You know what I like, and I don't think I would like it during the winter, but I, I did enjoy trying it over the summer. Those white claw iced teas. Yeah. those were pretty. I truly did their iced tea, and it was horrible. Yeah, and they come out with the fruit punches. Terrible. White claw Wait, does didn't it. Did you say and you enjoyed the iced tea, and he said it was horrible? You no, 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 no. The white claw iced tea was good. He's saying the truly iced tea. Oh, was not so try to copy. White claw comes out with something. Other companies try to copy it. And they can't do it as well. Well, there's actually another uh, iced tea seltzer called uh, Two Chicks. Have you seen this? Uh, I haven't tried that one, no. Yeah? No. Well, maybe sure? that'll be, that be on the season. <laughs> now, I know, yeah. we, we, Corey, we hung out with uh, Mayor Giuliani recently, and he seemed to take a, a liking to you. Is there any chance he'll be unmasked as, as one of the judges on the I would love to have him on. I wouldn't, I wouldn't run off the boat either if that happened. <laughs> <laughs> I think that'd be hysterical. <laughs> Come on, on this hard seltzer <laughs> show, and then you storm off after he's unmasked. All right, um, let me ask you, uh, being a comic is not the kind of job that you can usually interview for. It's kind of something that you craft your own way in. Uh, there is an article in the Huffington Post of uh, some signs of a toxic job that you can spot during an interview. Uh, Marlena, you actually... You actually, many, many years ago, decades ago, literally, yeah. hired me one decades. time. Decades. Don't yes. act like it was two it decades w- it ago. It was decades ago. No, it wasn't. Yes, it was. It but was... anyway, well, we, we, we can sit here debating about the number of decades for, for decades. But um, you actually hired me as an intern at one of your prior, in one of your prior lives. I didn't see any signs that that was a toxic job, but that was a workplace that became very well known for its toxicity. What are some of the signs of a toxic workplace? Well, according to the Huffington Post, um, I I do find this the timing of this very strange because at this point, who is really going in for a job interview and walking through an office? Um, I think. I think if you are actually brought in for an interview and have to go into an office, that's the sign that it's a good company (laughs) and they're not insane. But fine. So the first one is the interviewers. Uh, the interviewer is bad mouthing the person who had the job before you and people who work there. Okay, so that was number one sign. Number two sign was the hiring manager doesn't want to talk, doesn't want you to talk to anybody else except for him or her at the company. So you're, you're only going to be interviewed by that person. And they ref- the third one is the interviewer refuses to admit to any of the company's shortcomings. For the way uh, the way they talk about success is cutthroat. <laughs> Five uh, recruiters are cagey about employment agreements you will need to sign when you start. And lastly, everyone who works there seems like they are in a terrible mood. So now, 
Yeah, but go ahead. Give me your I take think. On oh, go ahead. No, no, no. Give me your take. Well, I, I, I think they're a little weak. I think this. Don't you think this is a little weak? Like people, uh, the one that talked about the manager not wanting you to talk to anybody else. I, I don't understand where they got this list from completely, but um, I also think they're missing a couple things. <laughs> well, give me, like, give me some of yours. I feel like if you walk into an office and you smell fish or broccoli that was just microwaved by one of the employees uh, there, I think that could definitely create a toxic workspace <laughs> that an annoying coworker is in your near future. If I walk into a workspace and I see one or more people on an exercise ball instead of a chair, <laughs> I think that that might be – it doesn't necessarily – Say it's a toxic work environment, but it definitely will bring up some toxic feelings uh, that, in me. Yeah, that's an annoying work environment. Yeah, that's, that's for sure. sure. Um, but so, yeah, I think they could have done better with this. Uh, Corey, you changed jobs recently. In addition to your work in the hard seltzer community, uh, you are also involved in medical sales. And uh, curious, were there any red flags in any of the job interviews? So it's funny. I, I read the same list. And, and the number one thing I saw, if, if – I'm interviewing with somebody, and they're bad-mouthing the people. I'm like, this is my guy. This is who I want to work for. <laughs> so maybe I'm the toxic guy here because uh, it's funny. A, a prior job I went to, uh, I heard nothing about bad things about it from the recruiter. And they're like, oh, and I, I got along with the with the hiring manager so good. It was one of the best jobs I ever had. And it was the most un- unorthodox interview I ever had in my life either. So I read this inter- I read this article, and I'm like, that would work there in two seconds. That sounds awesome. So you don't find that this list holds water either? No, I find nothing in this list. I, I, I would a place I want to work. I want to work with a guy who's going to talk to <laughs> the game, you know? Uh, Taylor Swift is a very, very popular artist, right? Uh, and now I went to New York University, and now there has been a Taylor Swift course launched at New York University. Specifically, I believe it's at the Clive Davis Institute of uh, Recorded Sound. They've introduced the first ever course on Taylor Swift, which launched on January 26th and continues through March 9th. Uh, I mean, look, she's a very popular artist, but what makes Taylor Swift so worthy of being studied by the uh, by the youth of America. This is one of the most ridiculous things ever. Now I get it; it's a music. It is a music school, so I'll give it that. And, and we look at some of the curriculum of what they're talking about. You know, students will develop an understanding of the appreciation of Taylor Swift as a creative music entrepreneur. Uh, they uh, deconstruct the way of her creativity and songwriting. Uh, I mean, listen. Uh, I'm an, kind of an older guy, but this, all this girl's songs about breaking up with people. That's true. It's, I might mean, know how, how creative you can get. It's one song after the other. It's just repeat, repeat, repeat. Um, I don't know if I'm a, a parent spending thirty, forty thousand dollars a year, and I get my kids' grades and you know Taylor Swift course. I'm going to be wondering what the hell I'm doing. Uh, Marlena, would you want but, your child to develop an understanding and appreciation for Taylor Swift as a creative music entrepreneur and learn to deconstruct the way her creativity and songwriting have made her a durable presence <laughs> in the quick evolving music industry? Listen. Um... I don't really care if she learns something and gets a good grade and it shoots up her grade point average. Fine. My older daughter does love performing and likes to sing. So maybe this would be beneficial for her. Um, I think any artist who has done what Taylor Swift has done could do the exact same thing. Mm. Uh, And, you know, I do in this article, it did say that they did ask if Taylor Swift could speak um, to the class and they haven't received an answer. And I feel like if somebody actually creates a course 
in your name, you absolutely should accept the, the position yeah. of at least. What's that creating... say about the course if she doesn't want to show up herself for it? You know? <laughs> well, I know she's very busy, but, you know, come on. You could help. She's got like nine homes in New York. She can pull up a de- one night that can yeah. say hello. I was thinking as Marlena was was saying that that uh, if somebody had a course for me somewhere that I would go and speak. But then I realized it's probably going to be at an inconvenient time. Probably going to be in an inconvenient place. And I I'm I'm guessing far less busy than Taylor Swift. I'm thinking I don't even want to go. I can't imagine Taylor Swift's going to want to go. Well, nowadays you can get away with virtual anything. Right, that's true. So that's she could true. just you know zoom in for ten minutes and answer some Q and A. I mean something. You think that's with us here to stay? The virtual anything, the meetings oh, done virtually not. instead of lunches with human beings. And I hope things like so that? personally. No, I hope me. not. Well, you no. hope that. The- oh yeah, it's this. This is the greatest thing that's ever happened to me. I don't have to leave my couch. So you it's work from home all the time? All the time. Really? I, I just put my, my shirt and my sport coat on. I'm in my underwear all day. This is the greatest thing for a lazy person. My sister does that. She loves it. She works from home all it, day it's long. It's the greatest thing. I, I uh, Look, I, I don't know. I, I like the idea of going to a, a physical workplace. Yes, absolutely. And I'll but, say this. I don't, I don't actually know how old you are, yeah. but... Um, you, you've worked long enough to know the difference between working in an office and working at home, maybe? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So, um, and that's fine, but the next generation, my kids, I need them to be able to function in the real world and not, you know, just devolve into this virtual world that they are pushing now. We talked about this on one of the shows mm. about um, them getting rid of the library in my kid's school and, and creating a technology room with these gaming chairs. And it's almost like there's this huge push towards... No one ever leaving their house again. And now that, you know, you've got the virtual reality, it's like everyone is just going to sit at home and virtually live and not actually live. So I'm not a fan of this continuing forever. I like the hybrid model only because I am a parent and it is convenient to be able to kind of, you know, shuttle between going in and not going in because it, it, it does make a difference when you're especially when your kids are young, um, but not as a full time like structure. Or, like, business model whatsoever. This is the beauty part of not having kids. You can just sit home in silence all day, and it's the greatest thing of all time. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Now, they always used to say that if you were working from home, that the employers and managers were less likely to want people to do it because they felt people were kind of goofing off and things of that nature. Then... All the data all of a sudden seemed to magically change that, no, people are actually more productive if they're working from home. As somebody that works from home, yeah. do you find that you – honestly, do you find that people are more or less productive than if they're actually working in a workplace? So I can just say for me, I work in sales, right? So I'm more productive just because I have more – I can do more. When, when, so uh-huh. don't forget, when when – Pre-pandemic, not just were you out, but other people were out, so they weren't always in their office. You can get a hold of anybody at any time, too, now. So you can be more productive and get things done quicker in uh, doing it uh, this well, way. Wait, okay, okay. So you are speaking from uh, like a niche position of a man who has no kids, right? Yeah. So you could be home all day by yourself getting your job it's a done. great world we live in. Okay. <laughs> well, if you're home with a child... And you will realize this as Carmine gets bigger. He's just a baby now, so you can, like, transfer him from room to room. But when he gets bigger and he's moving, you're going to see a big shift in Rachel, more so. Uh, you'll be you'll be sleeping because you, you work at night. Yes. This is the best schedule when you have kids. This is the best. But it's, like, it's impossible to get things done. It is so much. When, when Frank and I f- first started doing this a year ago, w- w- I used to come in way earlier than I That's needed right. to because I-, I got more things done here than I could ever at home. It's impossible. 
Um, in the, and, so- and, you know, to, to that point, well, I find that when I have to stay late for things and there's all a, an office full of coworkers, it's much more difficult for me to get things done because people will pop in and start talking to you. And <laughs> right. I'm, I'm sure the, yeah, the three yeah. or four people that are here now, they know to leave me alone except for the, you know, four hours that I'm, you know, on the air. Right. And I can actually get stuff done. It's very tough when all, there's all these people around. Right. No, it's totally true. It's, it's uh, yeah. So-, so final answer, more yes. or less productive from home versus working in an office? Um, I think it could go either way. Either I think, way. yes. If, as long, if you're home alone, sure. You know what I am over, though? I get that a lot of people are working from home and that's going to be the case for a while. Why do people still have out of office email replies? It is the most annoying thing in the world. Okay, we know you're out of the office. Everyone's out of the office. We don't need a reply. Just write back when you can. Uh, All right. I mean, well, if you're on vacation in another, uh, you know, country or something where they don't have access to email or running water, all right, fine. Uh, but uh, okay, I'm done but, with these. Uh, who has that job where they can go a week without but checking their email? That I mean, is, that would be the greatest thing in the world. That's semantics. What they yes, really mean is. is that I'm not readily available for the next couple of days. Mm. They're just used to they're just used of their auto out of office message to let you know I might not be replying immediately. I had no idea you were so anti-semantic, uh, Marlena. <laughs> and I must say I'm disappointed. No, you are. I must say one of us may get suspended for 2 weeks. Hey, speaking of email, I know um we're all, all three of us probably put on a lot of email chains. Now, what I'll give you my method of emailing multiple people. But how do you react when you're on an email email chain? There is nothing worse than when you're put in an email and someone just maybe a statement or a question, but then you get like the everyone has to reply to all and it's the same people that do it. Right. Anyone with a brain can just hit him with just the one reply. Right. Reply to the person but who's it's either the someone email. that wants to either A, make it look like they're working, yes. make it look like they're reading the email first, they get back to you. And before you know it, you have twenty five Got it. Thanks. Great idea. Get on to you. There's got to be some kind of rule or etiquette to say, hey, we got to start shaming those people because if we don't do it, it's just going to get worse. Shame the reply allers. Yes. Yeah, but sometimes, sometimes, because I've had this happen in the workplace, um, it's encouraged because they the person sending the message wants to see that you received it. Um, but that same person might not be as diligent as checking, and then everybody else can say, oh, no, 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 she saw it, he saw it, I saw the email. A couple of things here. One, uh, I've seen in a professional setting something called what I, I call log rolling. When there's a whole bunch of people on an email chain, nobody feels that they have a vested interest in actually responding and doing anything proactive. Oh, why do I need to respond? This uh, That guy's on it. That's that guy's department. Oh, he Frank CC'd that guy. That guy's going to handle it. I sent out last week, um, it, not to be too inside baseball, but a very detailed memo on something good that I thought would work here for the radio station. And I sent it to everybody that I could think possibly would be involved in this. Nobody responded. <laughs> not a single response. <laughs> not a single response. So I'll give you uh, – your emails get confusing, though, because uh, we, we go on a little more personal basis, too. But- I always get it's Frank and then undisclosed recipients. So I can't tell if it's to me or to everybody. That's the next thing I was going to say is so what I do usually, except for this recent issue, 
is, see, Curtis Lee is the worst with these these email chains because he sends it to a whole bunch of people, and then he's got, as you said, seven or eight people that reply all and fill up my email yeah. box. So I wake up at two o'clock in the afternoon. I have forty emails, and they're all the same email, yeah. and they're all I don't need. I didn't need the initial email, <laughs> let alone the subsequent thirty nine. But here's what I do, and both of you are aware of this. For when I'm sending out an email, whether it's an article or a commentary or an invitation or whatever the case may be, and I'm sending it to multiple people that I think are interested in uh, that subject, I will blind carbon copy everybody, one, to protect the anonymity of that person's email, and two, to make sure that you I, you guys cannot be trusted not to reply all. <laughs> so I make it so that you have no option to reply all or not. Oh, okay. Listen, I will... I. Be, be, as I am the recipient of many Frank Morano right, emails, you both are. it's true. I can guarantee that there is a good chance it's not even being read, and that's why it's not being replied to. Because if it's anything like those long diatribes that you write about your Cape May vacations or your New Year's Eve Eve background I info, read this all, just letting thank you know. You. Thank you. Well, let, well, let me I, just say, first of all. You know people, why? Because you have no kids. <laughs> yeah, it's true. That and is you are true. sitting home all day in your underwear and you have nothing else to do in between your sales calls. Point, I'll find things to do that. Point one, <laughs> uh, people really enjoy those New Year's Eve emails. And that, that's and once by people, a year. Do you, need once, like, do you mean like four or five? At least. At least. Maybe six. Yeah. That, that's once a year. As far as the, the Cape May vacation emails and subsequent similar vacations, for people don't don't know what Marlena is referring to, you know, Marlena and others would ask occasionally, oh, how was Cape May? How was Las Vegas? How was XYZ place that you went to? Now, I could give them the same answer 20 different times to all the people that gave it to me. Or I could send one email detailing exactly how everything was and then be done with it. They have all the information there and it saves me from having to spend, you know, the same five minutes telling everybody the same thing. Right. I, I, I think mean, it's a very but, reasonable position. But, but the details are unreal. Like, you could say, hey, it was a great time. We had great weather. We hit the beach a bunch of days. We went to we, – we, we ventured out to this place. We had great ice cream at this place. Can't wait to go back next year. That would be s- – Sufficient, but no, no, not him. He's like, and then we went for a walk, and then at two forty nine, we saw a turtle, and then we came across a dog, and and you know, we love we love dogs, and Rachel befriended this dog. It's like, oh my god, like just, I wish my computer would blow up right now. Uh, fair enough. I All mean, right. uh, I mean that in the nicest way. If you're wishing your radio it blows up, <laughs> don't worry. Oh, we're going to get into some other subjects in just a moment. Uh, this is the other side of midnight. Corey Windelspect is here. Marlena Shivo is here. A lot to get to between now and 5 a.m. And uh, if you want to weigh in as to who should be the lucky recipient of this, the other side of midnight travel mug, you can give us a call at 800-848-9222. Are either of you interested in this? But either will either of you use it? I'm trying to determine who will. I'll take a selfie with it. I'll post it, and I'll get exactly two likes. All right, so okay. you'll get a lot with that. Can you do better than that, Marlena? What? Take well, a picture with your mug? Yeah. All right. Okay. Well, <laughs> we'll have to say it like that. All right. This is the other side of midnight. Frank Morano here with Marlena Shivo, Corey Windelspeck. Straight ahead. WABC. We are New York on New York's Talk Radio 77 WABC. Now here's Frank Morano. Like a perfect night to dress up like hipsters and make fun of our exes. 
perfect night for breakfast at midnight to fall in love with strangers. Ah, 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 ah. Yeah. That is Taylor Swift singing about breaking up with people. Uh, I am joined by uh, Marlena Shivo and Corey Windelspeck, a pair of heartbreakers, if ever there was one. And, um, uh, you know, we have, uh, speaking of breaking up with people, Valentine's Day coming up in uh, less than a week. Uh, Marlena, you're married, and Corey, you're in what I believe is a committed relationship, although I can't speak uh, with oh, wow. certitude to that. Uh, <laughs> what's your deal with Valentine's Day? I feel like Valentine's Day is one of those things where everybody always says, oh, it's a Hallmark holiday. I hate it. I don't do anything for it. And then try and get a reservation anywhere on Valentine's I, Day. I just can't get it right. Or I gets, fail every year. Right. It's, it's you, horrible. Uh, I fail every year. I can't get it right. Well, so what do you have planned this year? Nothing. Nothing. Uh, no. Uh, no. I got stories about stories <laughs> of my Valentine's Day disasters. Uh, one time... Uh, I ordered flowers and I cheaped out because I was like at a flower. I don't want to say a company name because I don't know. What it was like $15 for like the delivery fee. And I'm like, I ain't paying that. I went to Amazon and bought flowers on Amazon. They might have been the worst flowers. They're like half dead when they showed up. And oh, boy. She knew it came from Amazon. So she even called me out. She said, are you too cheap to pay for the shipping? And I'm like, yeah, yeah. And, and that I, is your current long time. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. She stayed for that oh, one. Oh, well, hey. And the next year, I tried to double down. I go, all right, I'll, I'll, I'll pay for the shipping. And then we get a snowstorm in New York that came two days late. Oh. And they don't even apologize. They just go, oh, sorry. Like, you have, the one day you should probably hit your mark would be that one day. Yeah, you have to order early. You yeah. have to order early. No, I ordered early. Place. Just, you know, they so just didn't send early. Your your current girlfriend, I heard at the beginning of the show, is does something with dog food. Is that? Is that? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So did she start doing stuff with dog food after she got the crappy flowers from you because she served you dog food that night? Yeah, and yeah, then it became a thing. It's good dog food, though. I must say I've tried it. It's delicious. And I'm not joking. It actually is quite good. But, oh. um, uh, Marlena, what's your deal with Valentine's Day? Do you look forward to a big Valentine's Day night out, a break from the kids, a romantic evening, <clears throat> candle at dinner and so forth? So now that I have children, I it has become, for me, a children's holiday. Okay. Now, oh. my husband actually did make two different reservations over the, like, for Saturday night and Monday. And I said, let's just take the kids out, you know, and like have them dress up and do something like that. Because Saturday night, I actually can't because I'm doing a, uh, a delayed, uh, naughty, or I'm going to a delayed, naughty, and nice party. It was supposed to be around Christmas, mm. but then she made it, but, you know, there were all these complications, and so we now are doing it Valentine's weekend. So it's going to be like a bunch of women sitting around giving each other naughty or nice gifts. No fellas, just women. Yes. Okay. Uh, before we run out of time, by the way, uh, you are very controversial. Your videos have been uh, censored by Instagram, censored by YouTube. <sighs> You have now taken to the world of Substack, much like a lot of other controversial opinion makers. If people want to follow you on Substack, how can they how can they do that? Uh, Marlena, M-A-R-L-A-I-N-A dot Substack dot com. Yeah, I, I just launched it not too long ago. So there's not a ton over there, but I'm moving all of my media there because I am done with censorship. Good for you. Good for you. Where can people reach you, Corey? Reach me on Instagram, this Corey, T-H-I-S-C-O-R-Y. Or you can find me on Facebook, Corey Windelspeck. Uh, figure out how I spell my last name. It's really weird. <laughs> <There you go. laughs> All right. Before we run out of time as well, speaking of both love and censorship, let me ask you about this story about this uh, Playboy playmate who claims that she aborted Hugh Hefner's 
quote, devil child at the age of 19 after the late Playboy Baron uh, reportedly plied her with alcohol, forced her into unprotected group sex, and impregnated her when he was in his 80s. That's the word from 2009 Playboy Playmate Carissa Shannon. Uh, she spoke with the New York Post, who has an article in today's paper on this subject. Oh, yeah. So when she was 19, she said she was carrying the uh, baby of, at the time, 83-year-old Hugh Hefner. <laughs> And she didn't know it, and she said it was the only person she was sleeping with at the time, and she was so repulsed by it, which it's so funny that she was repulsed by the pregnancy and not the actual act of getting pregnant with Hugh Hefner. But anyway, so I don't – what I don't understand about this story, he's – the man's been dead for however many years – why now? What's the purpose? I, I feel like there's a lot of Hugh Hefner news all of a sudden, and uh, I I don't I don't really understand uh, I don't really understand why. Why either. wasn't there more Hugh Hefner news um, around the around the well around the Me Too just, movement? Just the money was mm. coming in. <laughs> you know, but seriously, why wasn't there? Uh, I, I think that's a that a fair is like point. The, that looks like it would be the headquarters of Me Too, and then you branch out. Like right. it started right. with Harvey Weinstein or something, right? Did yeah, it kind that, of start with him, uh, and then it's sort of yeah, Harvey Weinstein and the Ronan Farrow story about him, and then it became a Bill Cosby thing, yeah, right? And then everybody thing, and then everybody. And everything thing. about him was creepy, especially when you look back in hindsight. He's walked around with the smoker's jacket. I don't and think there's anything wrong with that. Oh, come on, dude. What? The Just, two sisters. There's one of the, these two sisters that were with him in a, in a relationship two sisters i don't know everything about it was great i'm a guy too everything about it was kind of creepy i don't you know look I, at the photos it looks like weekend at bernie's just trying to keep look, him awake i, I don't know well, look uh, i think we can have you both back for a discussion yeah. about hugh hefner's legacy <laughs> in the future but i, I will agree to disagree yeah. uh, on that front uh marlena shivo and uh cory windelspeck one emailer writes uh who gets of uh, on the subject of who gets the mug I'd give them uh, – I'm so delighted your brother-in-law isn't there. I'd give them both a mug. He has very controversial things to say <laughs> on the subject of uh, of COVID as well. So that's sort of a, a – you know, not a, a lack of endorsement both for you guys and for and for him. All I'll right. take it. So you want this? You I'll want this? Yeah. Story. All right. I'll take that and the compliment I just received. All so, right. yeah. Uh, you're okay with uh, with, with uh, Corey you can, you can You can have the uh, coffee. I will, I will drink with pride. See, I was <laughs> waiting for you to say – um, Marlena, like Solomon, I'd rather you know you I, I, you cut the mug in half, and then and then if Corey were to say you could have it rather than see the mug come to harm, <laughs> we would know who the true owner of the mug would be. All right, congratulations! I'm sorry not to fulfill your fantasy. Well, uh, greatest thing ever happened. Congratulations! <laughs> if you want one of those mugs, you can go to wabcradiostore.com. There's some other great merchandise in there as well. But it's a nice mug. I'm a beautiful say. mug. Yeah, I don't know who sent it to me. Double walls. Yeah, there you go. But I thank you to the listener who purchased it for us. All right, um, w- there's some other great stuff on there, and if you want to buy anything on the wabcradiostore.com, use discount code Frank. 15 keep asking questions all right all right this is the other side of midnight with frank morano they're running a strange program y'all talk radio 77 wabc now here's frank morano This is the other side of midnight. I am 
Frank Morano. Now, I have tried deliberately not to say anything about the Kanye West, Kim Kardashian divorce. For starters, because I don't care that much. But also, you know, I, I, uh, I, I've known a lot of people that have been divorced over the years. And I know when you get divorced, it's a very emotional thing, even if you're a celebrity. In fact, I'll say especially if you're a celebrity. And the last thing you need if you're getting divorced is the peanut gallery commenting on their opinion of this or that or this or that. But a couple of things, and especially in the case of these two, I actually happen to like both of these uh, people, Kanye West and uh, Kim Kardashian. Kanye West is a terrific musician. I really enjoy a lot of his music. And uh, while he said a lot of wacky things over the years and engaged in a lot of wacky behavior that I don't necessarily approve of, the fact that he's uh, been able to build the kind of business that he has, even extending beyond music but into all sorts of other realms as well, is remarkably impressive. And the fact that he ran for president as an independent candidate in 2020, knowing all the difficulties that and the hurdles that independent candidates face, anybody that runs as a third-party candidate for anything – I have a lot of admiration for Kim Kardashian. I like a lot of what she does as well, uh, and uh, especially her advocacy in terms of getting people out of prison. I thought uh, her work, especially during the Trump administration, was terrific, and her advocacy for things like the First Step Act was was great. Now, the reason I am going to comment on this is because of two issues. One, both of these stars seem to not want to be handling this uh, privately. They seem to want to be handling this publicly. They're doing this very much in the public eye, posting about their divorce publicly on social media to one another. And two, one of the key points of contention between the two of them seems to be an issue that parents all over the country, maybe even all over the world, are wrestling with. So you had Kanye West share a screenshot to Instagram Friday of their eight-year-old daughter from one of her videos, which are posted with his estranged wife, Kim Kardashian's approval, on TikTok. TikTok, if you don't know, I've never been on TikTok, but it's very popular. Our station, WABC, is on TikTok, and they're all about it. Flipper, who used to work here, she's a TikTok star now. I made the mistake of saying last week that her videos get hundreds of thousands of views. In actuality, I was told they get millions of views. So I apologize for uh, for shortchanging her on that. But anyway, uh, TikTok is big. So now uh, Kanye West publicly posts this. Since this is my first divorce... I need to know what I should do about my daughter being put on TikTok against my will. Now, I don't know that he really, I don't know what's going on in their relationship, so I don't want to make any judgments about who should be doing what. For all I know, you know, she's treated him horribly and he's exercised a lot of patience. I have no idea if that's the case. But it's not exactly a class classy thing to do when you're in the midst of divorcing the mother of your children and and bring up that she's been married previously and divorced previously. But he, Kanye West did that. Since this is my first divorce, I need to know what I should do about my daughter being put on TikTok against my will. Now, Kanye West 
has expressed disapproval, his disapproval of his child being on TikTok before TikTok before telling uh, Jason Lee of Hollywood Unlock that he didn't want any of his four children using TikTok. He said in an interview in January, just a month ago, quote, my children ain't going to be on TikTok without my permission, close quote. Now, Kardashian and North launched the joint account in um, North is their child, Northwest, right? How's that for a name? I'd like that to be Northwest. Okay. So Kanye, uh, Kim Kardashian and her daughter, eight years old, Northwest, launched this joint account in November with videos of a spa day and their Thanksgiving decorations. Now, North did hit a snafu about a month later when she went live without Kim Kardashian's permission while giving a tour of the house. And she says in between giggles, Mom, I'm live. Kim Kardashian responds on the video, No, stop, you're not allowed to. You could hear Kim Kardashian holding, uh, you know, scolding Northwest on there. So now they are, the two of them, are in a very big dispute about whether their daughter should be on TikTok. So my question for you is, at 800-848-9222, that's 800-848-WABC, is one, should an eight-year-old child be on TikTok? And Kim Kardashian says this is how her daughter is choosing to express herself, and she's supervising it. She's monitoring what her daughter is doing, and she believes that it's uh, that it's appropriate, and she's watching it every step of the way, and this is a creative way for her daughter to make art, essentially. Kanye does not buy into that at all, at all. Uh, and I'm curious where you stand now. Candace Owens, the conservative commentator, she's backing up Kanye West. She posted on Twitter, Kanye is wrong on this one. The psychological effects of social media on young girls is real and documented. It's actually Kanye that is trying to protect his daughter in this regard, and Kim is spinning this as obsession and control. There are other creative outlets for kids. That's what uh, Candace Owens is saying. So if you're curious about what Kim Kardashian is saying on this front, she is saying that um, that uh, Kanye's constant attacks on me in interviews and on social media is actually more hurtful than any TikTok North might create. As the parent who's the main provider and caregiver for our children, it's her way of throwing a little shade, I am going to, I'm doing my best to protect our daughter while also allowing her to express her creativity in the medium that she wishes with adult supervision, because it brings her happiness. Divorce is difficult enough on our children, and Kanye's obsession with trying to control and manipulate our situation so negatively and publicly is only causing further pain for all. From the beginning, I have wanted nothing but a healthy and supportive co-parenting relationship because it is what is best for our children, and it saddens me that Kanye continues to make it impossible every step of the way. I wish to handle all matters regarding our children privately, and hopefully he can finally respond to the third attorney he has had in the last year to resolve any issues amicably. Now, let me just say, 
maybe she had to respond because Kanye sort of attacked her publicly. But if you're public, publicly responding on social media, I mean, to say that you want to handle the matters regarding your divorce privately, I mean, it strikes me as a little strange. I mean, I would think. Your response to everything should be, no, 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 we're going to, I'm not going to comment on this publicly. I'm going to handle this privately. Rather than give a whole explanation as to why you're parenting the way that you're parenting and then saying, well, we're going to handle all this privately. Strikes me as a little odd. So the threefold question that I have for you is one, should children be on social media in general, including TikTok? Do you agree with? Kim Kardashian, that this is a great way for kids to express their creativity? Or do you agree with Kanye, who says that uh, it's inappropriate for children to be on TikTok? Two, um, what do you do if you're in a divorce situation like this and you have one parent that wants the kid to be on social media and the other parent that doesn't? And, And three, I mean... Is this really the best thing for their children, their four children, for them to be uh, kind of feuding through social media on this? I mean, I think the answer to that question, obviously, has got to be no. 800-848-WABC. That's 800-848-9222. Seven open lines if you want to jump on board. Now's the time. And uh, we're joined once again by our telephone talent coordinator, Alyssa, for the day, back by popular demand. Joe is in Queens. Hello, Joe. Yeah, okay, uh, Frank, uh, what's her name did Kim Kardashian actually did uh, what you would call an adult video that she did intentionally, and it's available online. Uh, given that particular history, that's a little over the top. She should be cautious about dealing with an eight-year-old daughter, given her own personal history of doing that. And her divorce was with that basketball player from the Ness Humphreys. And I don't think they were compatible from the beginning. So it really was like the marriage really just petered out immediately. You know, she wanted to hang out in L.A. He wanted her to hang with him. And it it just never got off the ground. So I don't consider her like divorced, divorced either. You know. Well, they're estranged at this point. They are going through. A no, divorce. no. I mean, with Kim Humphreys, you know, I don't consider her like a divorcee from a, uh, you know, this is uh, as a second divorce. That first marriage never got off the ground. I see. I see. well, I, I, again, yeah. it's clear that Kanye isn't necessarily a, a, that. Well, but wasn't she also married to someone else? I think Lamar Odom or something. Uh, yeah, Lamar. No, 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 no that no. was. Okay. See, I don't know. I'm not up on my Kardashians, uh, but yeah. um, I think she did have a second marriage before uh, Kanye West as well. But uh, but I mean, again, I think as I was about to say, I think yeah, that no, no, what's the basketball player? And it's just like they just they just uh, like it was a. You know, the guy was handsome, but they just didn't get along for you know to actually be husband. And yeah, wife. was that it, Damon it was, Thomas? Yeah, so her uh, first no, no, yeah, her first Kim, husband was, was Humphreys, da- right. Her first player, husband yeah. was Damon Thomas. Her second husband was Chris Humphreys. Her third husband was Kanye West. Oh, okay, okay. So the first one was probably similar. It was probably just like more like a boyfriend. That's all right. Well, whatever. I mean, they yeah, still got divorced, yeah. right? Thank you, Joe. As what I was about to say is, I don't think that uh, and uh, that. Uh, 
Kanye is that concerned with accuracy in his comments, it seems like he was just trying to be hurtful. And he was just trying to underscore, which I never understood. You know, clearly he's trying to win an argument, both internally within his family and more broadly in the court of public opinion, in terms of whether or not his daughter should be on TikTok. A surefire way not to do that is to attack um, his wife's marital history. Now, he chose to marry her knowing she was married and divorced twice. So I think it's totally unfair for them him to then bring up the fact that she's had multiple divorces before. But one, is it okay for a child to be on social media, a, a site like TikTok? Do you side with Kim or Kanye? Two, uh, what do you do in an instance where the parents don't agree and they're going through a divorce? What do you do? 800-848-WABC. That's 800 800- Eight four eight nine two two two. You can find me on Twitter as well at Frank Morano. That's Frank M O R A N O. Or you can email me. We're going to go through your best and worst emails in uh, just about ten minutes. Uh, Frank dot Morano at wabcradio.com. That's Frank dot M O R A N O at wabcradio.com. And uh, you can certainly find me on Facebook as well. Facebook dot com slash M O R uh, ANO fan. And if you like that Facebook page, then you'll get an invitation to join the Facebook group, which is meant as a uh, a platform for discussing this show. 800-848-9222. Bob is in New Brunswick. Hello, Bob. Hey, hey, Joan, buddy. I was reading in the post that Kanye was complaining that when he went to visit his son, I think for a birthday at the house, that she kept all security around him, and that he was saying that um, she made him, he had to take a drug test because he was saying he was on drugs. And the only other thing I wanted to say to your first caller, Joe, who's known by Cliff on the Christian station, how you doing? Oh, very good. Okay. Well, that's, uh, we'll say hello, uh, hello to uh, Cliff slash Joe, 800-848-WABC. We do have a number of calls. I'm not saying Joe. Joe has always been Joe to me, as far as I know. But um, we do have a number of callers that use different names on different platforms. That is true. And on different radio stations, that is certainly the case. 800-848-9222. Tom is in the Boogie Down Bronx. Hello, Tom. Hey, what's up? I think that the young lady is too young to be exposed to um, any social media. It don't matter who's watching, mother, father, sister, brother, because you're going to create a personality, a persona for her. She's going to like it because she's young, and you can't watch her all the time. I don't think she should be uh, introducing her to communicating. She's going to talk to somebody bad, you know. She's going to be too vulnerable. I don't think they should. Uh, she's too young for me. She's too young for me to be on any social media. All right. What age do you think is appropriate? Well, um, blah, blah, blah. let's say uh, seventh grade or something. What are you, 10, 11, something like that, 10, 11, 11 years old when you're in seventh grade, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, something like that, right? All right. So 10 years old, you think? Uh, okay, 10, 11. Okay. Or does yeah, it depend 10, on 11. the child? Can... 11. Yeah. Yeah, well, uh, fair enough, Tom. Thank you. Uh, Jim, uh, what do you say about this whole situation, Jim? Hello. Hey, Frank. I don't think it's a good thing for young girls to be on TikTok. I'm raising young girls. I got to, you know, they have a strict thing not to put videos up on there. I've seen creepy old guys watching TikTok videos of young girls. It's like 
home shopping network for pedophiles, I think. Well, so I don't know much about TikTok. I don't go on TikTok. I don't know about it. It's clear. I remember during the Trump administration, the president was trying to ban it because he believed that it was not he believed it was owned partially by a Chinese or a majority by a Chinese company. And he was fearful that this was a backdoor way of the Chinese government getting American user data. So I wasn't exactly eager to join it. Plus, I have too many things to update Anyway, and I have a platform already for four hours a day, so I never really um, had any interest in joining TikTok. But it sounds like you're very bearish on TikTok for everybody, that you don't think TikTok serves much of a purpose for anybody, let alone eight-year-old children. No, well, not for anybody. I, I, I'm a YouTube guy. I love watching things on YouTube that I'm interested in. But TikTok, how it blew up was young girls doing dance videos on there. And then more people found the platform and started using it more like YouTube. But me, so many young girls are addicted to TikTok, you know, I mean, it's fun for them dancing and singing, you know, all that. But also you got the, you say, you see, you got the bad element of it too, which is every aspect of the internet. You know what I mean? You know, I, I, I consider the internet like a baseball bat. You could take a baseball bat and go make ten million dollars a year working for the Yankees, or you could take, or you could take a baseball bat, and kill somebody, and go to jail. There's good and there's bad, you know. Well, I mean, in fairness, I don't think that little Northwest is doing the internet equivalent of killing someone with a baseball bat, though. No, I would say there's good and bad to TikTok, but I have seen creepy old guys looking at videos of little girls dancing on TikTok. I say, you know, it could be. It could be like the home shopping network for pedophiles. You know, looking at these little girls. You know, you want creepy old guys looking at your, your little girl dancing on TikTok? I don't. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, personally not. Thank you very much, Jim. Joe is in Ronkonkoma. Hello, Joe. Oh, uh, lost Joe there. Call back if you want. 800-848-WABC. Uh, or you can find us on Twitter at Frank Morano. That's Frank M-O-R-A-N-O. Coming up in just a couple of minutes, we're going to go through your mail over the course of the last week. Snail mail, uh, email, you name it. We're going to go through it. And there have been quite a few interesting messages uh, this week. <laughs> and uh, Some good, some not so good. And uh, I'll give you some of the highlights and lowlights in uh, in just a minute. Coming up at 4.30, going to be joined by Ralph Romeo. We're going to delve into whether or not Andrew Cuomo might be making a comeback politically. You remember, and I brought this up with Dominic Carter. No, I'm not trying to pat myself on the back here, but I predicted this. When it was initially reported that Andrew Cuomo was going to run for governor, I said that I thought he was going to run for attorney general. And now, based on this story that's in the Wall Street Journal, they are saying that uh, or uh, it's actually based uh, either Bloomberg. It's both Bloomberg News and the Wall Street Journal. There's a Bloomberg News story where Cuomo says that he's been vindicated. And then there's a Wall Street Journal story where he's saying because of that vindication, he's likely or at least leaving the door open to running for attorney general. So we're going to get into that. With Ralph Romeo as and there's also a radio commentator who was fired for his remarks over the WNBA, if you can believe that. We'll play you what he said. We have the audio, and then we're gonna get into that in a big way. Steve is on Long Island. Hello, Steve. Hey Curtis. Uh, I'm, I'm hey, actually Frank. Frank. Yes. I love you. Thank I you. I love listening to you every night. Um, Thank you. I'm just wondering because I listen to the radio all day long. And what is the uh, – I'm kind of out of the loop why 
Does Curtis hate you so much? Oh, please. Curtis doesn't hate me. I talk to Curtis five times a day. Why does he uh, keep saying bad things about it? Uh, well, because, one, I think he thinks it's funny. Uh, two, he's got... Is it a funny thing, like uh, ha-ha kind of thing? Yeah, I think so, yeah. Two, hey, do not. That's great. Beg your pardon? That's great. That's awesome. Um, uh, two... Uh, I, like I said, I, I, I don't follow enough, and I'm I'm listening to him in, in the morning, and I'm like... He's saying things, and I'm like, okay. Yeah, I, I uh, look, uh, two, um, I think Curtis actually thinks by mentioning me all the time that he's, w- w- and I'm happy that he does, that he's doing me he's a favor. You, uh, props. Exactly. It, and that he's promoting the show and getting people, promoting and getting people to listen to it. Now, if, the people that Curtis genuinely doesn't like in radio, he just doesn't mention uh, because he knows that by, you know, giving them a, a commercial, that uh, that's his way of, of of promoting them, whether he's saying something positive or negative. So I wouldn't read too much into it, Steve. I love you. I, I love your show this late at night. Not many people listening, but we all listen to you. And uh, thank you very much. Well, thank you, Steve. Actually, there's more people listening than you might think. We uh, got to look at the recent numbers for the holiday book, which is traditionally a very weak one for the medium of talk radio because a lot of people migrate towards Christmas music. And we still... Ended up doing very, very well. Uh, And, in fact, we did our highest ratings ever for the holiday book, what they call the holiday book, which is a portion of December and a portion of of January. 800-848-WABC. Chris is in Mount Vernon. Hello, Chris. Hey, Frank. Listen, I mean, good luck trying to get the kids not to watch the the social media and and YouTube and and all that. they, They use the computer for everything nowadays. So, so like my daughter, for instance, I tried to take you, but guess what? She needs the computer. She needs the computer for school, all kind of school work. They, they, whatever they're doing, they, they're on the computer regardless of social media or not. And so, you kind of just got to be there. So you got to pay attention to your kid and and make sure they're not doing anything that they're not. That's basically it's hard. Yeah, I, I, I get that. I get that. And I was waiting for somebody to say that. And I was surprised that uh, that that was not something that was brought up earlier. I do think that um, you, know, you, you can't put the genie back in the bottle. Right. Uh, in the 21st right. century, it's very difficult to uh, get a child not to want to participate in social media. Now, was eight years old too young? I don't know. Uh, but uh, I think Kanye may have a point. But. Look, if there's one person that knows about uh, sharing things on social media, I would think it would be Kim Kardashian. But whether he's right or she's right, I do wonder what do you do in an instance where both of the parents want to do the opposite? I mean, there, there are there are like kids versions of the of, of certain things like uh, like YouTube kids and stuff like that. Tell them, listen, please, just want you. Know, you gotta just ask the kid because the kid can sneak around behind your back. They have their iPads and all that. There's really no. You gotta just trust your kid, and you gotta pay attention to your kid, and don't don't just leave the kid alone in their room to do whatever the heck they want. You know what I mean? I, it's, just, it's not easy, but I, I don't see the, I don't see a way around it these days. Uh, well, I think you might be right. Unfortunately, Chris. Again, um, when you have the one parent that feels strongly one way. The other parent that feels strongly the other way, both seem to want to be involved in the children's lives. It's not as if uh, one of them is an absentee parent. What do you do? 
I don't know that there's an easy answer there. All right, we'll go through your mail in just a moment. 800-848-WABC if you want to comment on anything we have covered. Uh, that's 800-848-WABC. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. WABC, wherever you go, go, go with 77 WABC. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano, 77 WABC. This is Candyman from, oh no, excuse me, Lollipop from the band Aqua, which is a Danish-Norwegian Euro-pop group. Uh, They were the ones that did that song Barbie Girl, which was a monstrous hit. This song, Lollipop, did not have the same degree of international acclaim uh, nor popularity that Barbie Girl did. Uh, That was a genuine multi-platinum crossover single single. And uh, this song, needless to say, was not. But I, th- I find it still to be decently catchy. All right. Uh, you have written, and now I will read. It is time for us to go through your... Letters. Oh, we get letters. We get your letters every day. Mailman, mailman, mail today. Reach right in and pull one out. of correspondence come to us via email and you can email me frank.morano at wabcradio.com from karen who writes dear mr morano i just wanted you to know i'm addicted to your show oh it sounds dangerous i'm near syracuse new york and i found your show a few months ago one night when i couldn't sleep since i usually can't stay up all night i don't know how you do it i've started listening to your podcast during the day you have a marvelous sense of humor i love the way you tell a story the one about filling your tires with air at the price of a dollar fifty for three minutes worth was hysterical the interviews you have are extremely interesting you have a knack for bringing up topics Everyone can relate to, like remembering Tab, that used to be my sister-in-law's favorite drink. Your political topics and explanations help people understand local and state politics, which can be very complicated. You're polite to your guests, and even when they're being unreasonable, you have a calm way of handling them. I love the humor you bring to the show, and it's funny how I can be laughing when it's in the middle of the night. Asking for TV and streaming shows brings some great suggestions from your audience. I love... Your musical selections, too, even Edward Sharp and the Magnetic Zeros. Uh, My favorite answer on your contest, the $1,000 Minute, was the New York City man who said the Empire State Building was located in Albany. I laughed a long time with that one. Congratulations on your show, your ratings, and your new son, Carmine Kins, are great, and you'll continue to find great joy in him. Thanks for taking the time to read this letter, Karen. Now, contrast that to this piece of correspondence. 
that came in via text message. And you could send me an SMS text message at 8168Moreno. This is from a listener named Paul who writes simply, short and sweet, you can't carry a four-hour show. Oh, you can't carry a four-hour show overnight. It's boring. Have a one-hour where you can opine. All right. Well, thank you, Paul. I appreciate that. Now, uh, this email comes to us from Keith, subject, Chinese culture. Frank, big fan, except tonight. You, and then he has quotation marks, you love everything about Chinese culture? Please retract that on air. They treat animals worse than any nightmare you and your wife could have and still slaughter and eat dogs, cats, tigers, monkeys, etc., And their government is the biggest threat to the world, and they'll not come clean about COVID. 99.9% of people in China support all this. Super nationalists, so please don't promote their culture. You sound like a tenured Ivy League university professor. Do not watch the Olympics. Keith from the Upper West Side, a couple of things. One, I don't think there's been a bigger critic of the Chinese government than me. If you listen to me Friday... If you listen to me on Sunday with John Katsvatiti, I I have had the Chinese government's name from Jump Street. Uh, I mean, even before Donald Trump started talking about this broadly, I was talking about it on air. So when I talk about admiring Chinese history, Chinese cuisine, Chinese culture, it, I am not at all, and I've made that very clear, but I'll do so again, not at all talking about the Chinese government. Uh, as far as eating cats and dogs goes and slaughtering cats and dogs, needless to say, I disapprove of that. Michelle writes, did you ever think that at the late hours of the night, people are looking towards lighthearted topics? To me, the subjects you choose to talk about are so gloomy. I really enjoy when you talk about your personal life and Atlantic City. The best shows were when Johnny Russo was on. Maybe try to be a little fun-loving and less depressing with your choice of things to expand upon, expound upon. I think the day she sent that, I did 20 or 30 minutes on bringing back a soda that was discontinued. So I don't know exactly you could call that depressing. I mean, look, I'm depressed that there's no more tip. Uh, this uh, email comes to us from Jeff. He writes, after listening to some callers take entirely too much time with very little to say, I have a suggestion to offer. Our Verona Town Council meetings have a public participation segment in every meeting where anyone can come to the podium and ask or say anything they want. However, a few years ago, there was a four-minute time limit put on, and any questions are answered after all the public who wants has had their turn. This way, no one person is at the podium for more than four minutes. I know you do the 15 seconds of fame at the end of the show, but you may want to consider putting a two-minute time limit on each caller, including your response. That's more than enough time for them to get their point or question across and for you to respond. Of course, you can go over based on the individual situation. Thank you, Jeff. It's your show, after all. But knowing in advance they will be cut off may help some callers to keep to the point of the call and give you time to respond. Unfortunately, it won't help the drunks, but then you can cut them off using the two-minute rule as a reason. And it doesn't have to be two minutes. That's just an example I'm using. But two minutes is only 30 callers an hour, so that should be about the right length of time as a maximum. I would also mention the two-minute rule each time you open up the phones. Last thing, it was nice to hear Charlie Finch's voice. 
Thanks for playing that the other day. Although I'm not a fan, I'm happy to know he's still living and well enough to at least leave you a voicemail message. That's from Jeff. One, a lot of callers are much less than two minutes. You know, some callers are 10, 20, 30, 40 seconds. So uh, very few callers extend beyond two minutes. You know, I think the solution we came up with of playing Academy Award music after a caller goes on after a certain amount of time, I think that's the best situation. The caller knows that's their cue to wrap it up. And uh, this way, we, you know, it, it, it doesn't have a hard and fast rule like the, you know, like the situation. This email comes to us actually from Bernard Getz. Yes, the former subway vigilante. And a regular listener to this show, also somebody that happens to be a friend of mine. Uh, He was writing in response to the fact that I sent a welcome email to Rachel Haggerty, a new employee at the radio station, and she did not respond. And I sent that welcome email in November. Bernie Gatz writes, uh, no reason to be miffed at Rachel. People normally don't respond to welcome emails. Also, it's unusual to tip technical staff. Well, so be it. She actually did respond after I exposed her not lack of a response on the radio. So there you have it. Uh, this email comes to us from Helen. Helen writes of the Murano hat, consider a more appropriate gift for women. I don't know any who wear baseball caps. That's from Helen. You know, I completely disagree with you. I know many women that wear baseball caps. And um, I don't know. If they don't want a baseball cap, maybe we can offer them the travel mug. I'll see you about that. If there's a female caller that is awarded a cap and doesn't get the, you know, doesn't get that. All right. Uh, Al writes, hi, Frank, been enjoying your show on podcast. And notice you refer to your car as a small car. If you still drive a Camry, it's not considered a small car at all by today's standards. It's considered between full size and midsize. Now, again, I appreciate that, Al. But I was talking about in response to an SUV. That's all I was saying. Um, This person is named Joe. He writes, subject, Gabriel over the White House. Hello, Frank. If it wasn't for the phone call you got at 4.40 a.m. today, I would still think that I was the only one who ever saw Gabriel over the White House on Turner Classic Movies. I saw it in late 2017 purely by chance when I was scanning the TV channels on a Saturday afternoon. After seeing it, I kept telling everyone I knew that they had to see it. But I never saw it listed on the Turner Classic movie schedule again. And YouTube only had scenes to look at, not the complete film. You'll love this movie. Since its appearance on Turner Classic Movies corresponded with events that were going on in the Trump administration at the time. The story of the movie follows, and he gets into the the story, which I read about privately. I won't uh, spoil anything for you. And he talks about one scene that uh, stands out. And then he goes on to say, another movie you should check out is Zero Hour with Dana Andrews. Yeah, I, I tried to find that film, Gabriel Over the White House, on TV. I, I think I am going to have to just order the DVD on Amazon. I think that's the best way. This is an email from Eric who writes, a subject, Evolution of Language. He writes, <clears throat> hello, the carrot and stick is a metaphor for reward which always remains just out of reach. To get a horse to move, you can dangle a carrot in front of it, but it has become a reward or a punishment thing, huh? It's been a long time since I can just leave the radio where it is all night long. You're good. Thank you. Well, thank you, Eric. But, you know, it's one of those things. It's a lot like the meaning of the word literally, right? We now no longer have a word that means literally because so many people 
were using the word literally to mean its opposite. So now when somebody says, I am literally going to um, jump out of this, jump out of out of this building uh, uh, and I'm going to literally jump from the 40th story out onto the street. You have no way of knowing if they're trying to express frustration or if you should call a suicide prevention hotline. It's the same thing with the carrot and stick approach. While the etymology of the phrase, the origin of the phrase, might be exactly as you described, because so many people use it the way that I referred to it, which is to give a carrot for a good deed and offer a stick for a poor deed, that's almost become the meaning. Mary writes, this came to us on Sunday. Mary writes, Hi, Frank, I just finished listening to the Cats Roundtable. Congratulations to you. You bring so much to that show. You're so knowledgeable. They're lucky to have you. Um, I am, uh, have a good day. Looking forward to the other side of midnight. That is very, very, very nice. Um, uh, this is from Sheila on the subject, a thousand dollar contest. Hi, Frank. Since you can also win prizes without answering all 10 questions correctly, shouldn't you continue with the questions? Even if someone misses, they can have eight questions correct to win something. Correct. Well, yes, Sheila, but I, I think the the thing is they're supposed to not get any questions wrong for the first eight. And the questions elevate in difficulty. So if you get question five wrong, I don't know that you should be able to skip ahead. I, I don't know. I, I don't I don't like that at all. I don't like that at all, Sheila. But we'll we'll bring it up. We'll bring it up at our Friday meeting and see how it goes over. See, yeah, Matt doesn't like it as well. Hence the buzzer there. This is an email from uh, Gracie. Uh, subject, Joe Nolan. First, Juliet disappears, then Joe. I listen to your show just about every night, mainly because it's interesting. Maybe I missed the announcement as to what happened to them. You know, I've, I've noticed, that, first of all, Juliet, I mentioned, had an amicable split from the station. I saw her yesterday, as a matter of fact. She's doing great. She's doing very well. And you can follow her on social media for whatever her next step is. But I, I've noticed that Joe is not doing the traffic in the morning either. But I heard he might. they might be bringing him back. They are bringing him back? Do you know? Oh, you don't know either for sure, uh, Matt. You Not know. for sure. You don't I've heard the same sure. rumors. Right. So heard. hopefully he will come back. Look, Joe Nolan is a legend. He's been on the station since it was a music station back in, uh, like going back to 1979 or 1980. So he's been on the station for over 40 years. I can't imagine a WABC without Joe Nolan. So uh, we'll see. I, I don't know why he's not on it. You, usually the way these things work, just so everybody knows, is Joe Nolan doesn't work for us. He works for a company that the that our radio station has a contract with. And then sometimes when the radio station and the, the company that Joe works for will have a contractual dispute, that might result in Joe not getting heard for a period of time. But I have a feeling that uh, they will bring Joe back. And, and look, if you feel that strongly, you should write to the radio station. I think they're on WABCradio.com. There's a forum for giving feedback to management, and they do check those because uh, sometimes when they say neg- there's one caller who constantly or, or emailer that insists that I'm anti-Semitic. I think because I like Pat Buchanan, that's his entire basis for that. So he emails every time we get a new boss, and the guy's followed me my whole career, you know, multiple different radio companies, seven or eight years. He's been doing the same thing. 
And he's got all these fake Facebook accounts that uh, that he does the same thing on Facebook. I, I'm not bothered by it. But he, every time something negative or positive about me is sent through the feedback online, I always hear about it. So our bosses do check that. So if you uh, feel strongly about Joe Nolan, uh, go on WABCRadio.com. There's, there's an area for feedback on there. All right, this person is from, uh, this is an email from, um, I think uh, the person is Barb. Frank, over the past week, your shows have felt testier than usual. My unsolicited, there's, there's quotes around unsolicited. I'm not sure why there's quotes around unsolicited. My unsolicited feedback suggests, all capital letters here, sleep deprivation. To me, sounds like you're still practicing old lifestyle habits in your new lifestyle, i.e. meeting up for lunch dates versus telling friends you need rest and will go home to Rachel and Carmine. Maybe it's time to tell cronies that you can or cannot meet with them. No time for guilt. You're just alerting everyone that your availability has changed. FYI, um, last Friday and then She says about the schedule that I said that I was doing last Friday. A couple of things. One, I do turn down almost everything. Uh, That's number one. You you can ask, my friend. I turn down almost everything. But if someone says, Frank, it's very important that I need to meet with you for a personal issue or a business issue or a a, uh, political issue, it doesn't matter when. I will work around your schedule. I need to meet with you sometime in the next three weeks. And I pick the least objectionable time to meet with them and say, hey, you got to come around the corner from where I live so that I can get away. And they do it. What am I supposed to do? Say, I don't want to have lunch with you? No. Uh, You know, I, I, I don't have many talents. That's the God's honest truth. One of the talents that I've been very proud of over the years is maintaining relationships, relationship maintenance. Okay. I am uh, very, very proud of the network of friends and acquaintances that I've built over the years. And I've really, I really pride myself on my social group. I'm a, a human, real-life social network. And the way that you maintain a relationship of any sort, whether it's a spouse, a girlfriend, a sibling, a parent, a friend, a business associate, the way you maintain a relationship of any sort is not to... Uh, just ignore someone when they tell you that when they tell you they need your help, it, you got to do the relationship maintenance necessary, even though that can be enormously time consuming at times. Uh, this message, and I'll probably we'll probably end it here. Uh, this message comes to us from Twitter. This is uh, from Nick, who writes several weeks ago on your show. I heard you talking about how you became a minister so that you can marry a friend and his spouse. Which online ministry do you recommend? My best friend asked me to officiate his wedding. Well, congratulations, Nick. I uh, am actually ordained in two different marriage ministries. I am ordained in both uh, American Marriage Ministries and the Universal Life Church. Uh, Nick, if you let me know where your friend is getting married... I'll be able to offer a more specific recommendation because there are some states and some municipalities that recognize different churches. Almost everybody recognizes universal uh, the Universal Life Church. I like the Universal Life Church because you can also go on their website and they have all sorts of neat um, accoutrements uh, that you can purchase, uh, different kind, kind of customized marriage certificates and all sorts of things related to being a minister that performs marriages. I've done a lot of weddings over the years. I think close to 30 of them, uh, maybe more. And uh, I always really enjoy them. And I'm proud to say, you know, a couple 
Uh, I had two couples visit me on Sunday. We'll get into that in a minute. But I had two couples visit me on Sunday that I married uh, at different times. They overlapped a little bit, I think. But they visit me at different times. Both of them still married. And one couple has two children. The other couple has one. So I think my track record of marrying people is pretty good. As far as I'm aware, I don't think anyone I've ever married has divorced. So, I mean, I hate to jinx myself, but lesson learned is if you want to stay married, you should ask me to perform the service. All right. Hey, uh, we'll take your calls next. There are one, two, three, four, five open lines. And uh, we have Ralph Romeo joining me at 4.30 right after the $1,000 Minute. We'll take your calls in a minute, 800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight. If you did not get heard on this particular edition of Letters, you can um, you can email me, and uh, if your email is substantive enough, we'll read it next week. Uh, email me at frank.morano at wabcradio.com. You can also send me a snail mail. At P.O. Box 1777, New York, New York, 10163. Just make sure you send it to my attention. Now even Molly's getting mail. Molly got a postcard yesterday. Very odd uh, postcard, I must say. If anybody, uh, if Molly ever goes missing, we're going to keep that postcard as evidence uh, in terms of finding out who's culpable for her disappearance. Just be warned, whoever's sending her that kind of mail. Now, uh, thank you for listening to this week's edition of... The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano, 77 WABC. an answering machine. If you're younger than a certain age, answering machines were something around um, for many years. And the way it would work, I'll never forget the first time I heard an answering machine. I thought it was a friend of mine playing a practical joke on me, acting like the telephone operator. And it blew my mind, but it was really neat. The way it would work is, and I guess this is still similar to voicemail, I keep my voicemail full so people can't leave me. A message. They have to SMS text message me. The way it works is you'd, you, they have a recording, and then you'd leave a recording of their own, and you knew they called, and then you'd call them back. It's really wild stuff, very revolutionary. But this is a great song. It's by Rupert Holmes. Now, most people know Rupert Holmes as the, um, the person that recorded the song Escape, and most people know the song Escape as the Pina Colada song. And I like Rupert Holmes. I like this song. I like that other song, Escape. And I tried to uh, interview Rupert Holmes about uh, three years ago because he's an interesting guy. He really is. And the whole history of that song, Escape, you know you know the song. Or, uh, do we have the ability to play that? Uh, well, that's, it's in our approved repertoire. So the, let me let me play the just the chorus if we can. Okay. Well, yeah. We'll, we'll, all right. We'll listen to it.
you know the song. So anyway, while, while we wait for the chorus, I'll tell you about the history. For the 40th anniversary of this song, I reached out to Rupert Holmes to come on the radio with me. I thought that would be fun. We could talk all about the, the song and its history. And his manager got back to me, what do you want to talk about? I said, well, I'd like to talk about that song, Escape, among other things. Happy to promote anything you want. Here, let me hear the, the chorus. And wouldn't you know it, they said, they said he didn't want to come on. He, did, he appreciates what that song has done for him, but he doesn't want to talk about it. He's so sick of talking about that song that he wouldn't do a 10-minute radio interview with me. I mean, they were nice about it. Sometimes people just don't, don't get back to you, but at least he responded. You think he's mad that that's the only yes. song that people know Yes, that's for? why I like playing the answering musician. machine. He's what? like a musician. Yes, exactly. No, like, I do think I that's that what it is. I did that one song. I have a lot of other songs. I, I do think that's exactly what it is. <laughs> I, I mean, how do you think Corey Windelspeck feels about uh, being known as the Holland Tunnel guy? <laughs> you know? But anyway, the original the original way that the chorus went on this song, uh, Escape, where you know the part where it says, if you like pina colada, right? The original chorus started with, Hey, wait, we'll, we'll let you hear hear it with the original, the lyrics that you know. Right? Now, the original, the chorus originally for that song started with, if you like Humphrey Bogart. That's how the song went. Can you imagine? If you like Humphrey Bogart and getting caught in the rain. And so apparently he was getting on the mic and he thought to himself, you know, I've done so many movie references to Bogart and widescreen cinema on my early albums. Maybe I shouldn't do one here. I thought, what can I substitute? Uh, well, this woman wants an escape like she wants a, a, to go on a vacation to the islands. And when you sit on the beach and someone asks you if you like a drink, you never order a Budweiser. You don't have a beer. You're on vacation. You want a drink and a hollowed out pineapple with the flags of all nations and a parasol. If the drink is blue, you'd be very happy and a long straw. I thought, what are those escape drinks? Let's see. There's daiquiri, Mai Tai, pina colada. I wonder what a pina colada tastes like. I've never even had one. I thought instead of singing, if you like Humphrey Bogart, with the emphasis on like, I could start at a syllable earlier and if you and go if you like pina colada. See, wouldn't it be interesting to ask him about that? But he doesn't want to talk about it. At least three years ago he didn't. Maybe he's been chastened by the recent pandemic. And we'll uh, add it. We'll change his tune. Maybe we'll reach out again. We'll we'll we'll, we'll delegate that to Molly. Molly, you want to reach out to Rupert Holmes again if we can. All right. Um, yeah, squeeze in a quick call here, and then um, we got a lot to get to. Believe it or not, uh, let me say hello to Alan in Tenafly. Hello, Alan. Hey, Frank. A quick comment on the U. Hefner criticism earlier by the gal who says the negative things about Hefner. I was a journalist and interviewed the legendary Lana Turner, a big star at MGM in her day. And Lana said, yes, there was a so-called casting couch situation for aspiring actresses at all the studios. And she said, but, he said, top guys like Louis B. Mayer of MGM, Daryl Zanuck of 20th, and uh, the Warner Brothers were not into that at all. This would be a lower echelon casting director who may, in fact, have per, uh, been that kind of guy. 
But for the most part, Hefner, I feel, couldn't uh, <laughs> possibly be accused of something because girls were begging to come up to the Playboy That's Mansion, right. begging to get in the magazine. That's right. You know, maybe um, – look, I, I was saying to Marlene off air, and I think I even mentioned it on air, that I don't know why there's been such an explosion in Hugh Hefner – coverage all of a sudden he, he's been dead five years i don't know why all of a sudden now you're seeing tell-all books and miniseries and the like when the guy's gone five years uh but I, and thanks for the call there alan maybe in april on the uh when he would have been his birthday maybe we'll do a whole hour analyzing and looking at the legacy of hugh hefner i really like hugh hefner I always have. I love that he runs around in that robe all day. I love that he wears that smoking jacket. I love that uh, he wore that um, that captain's hat. I wear a captain's hat sometimes. And um, one of the things I really like about Hugh Hefner, aside from the fact that he really was always a crusader for free speech, is he, you know he's quite fond of scrapbooking, quite fond of cinema, quite fond of throwing throwing good parties. I like all those things, but. If you go to the Playboy Mansion, you'll see girls there that are 21. You'll see guys there that are 80. And he had no tolerance for age discrimination at all. He did not tolerate anybody being discriminated because they were too young or because they were too old. And I wish we had a little bit more of that Hugh Hefner spirit in the rest of society because people love to make judgments about you based on your age. It's one of the reasons I don't tell people my age. None of your business. You don't judge me based on my age. Judge me based on my character. Hey, until next hour, in the words of the great Bob Barker, help control the pet population. Get your dog or cat spayed or neutered. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Now, here's Frank Morano. Everyone, this is the other side of midnight. I am Frank Morano. Hey, uh, I'm not a big traveler. I don't know about you. I know we have a lot of people that uh, enjoy going on vacation, or a lot of people even enjoy traveling for work. I was listening to Corey. Corey was talking to me. Uh, Corey was here in the first hour. He was telling me how he travels all over the place in his job uh, involved in medical sales. He tr- he just traveled to Denver. And uh, a lot of people fly. I don't fly much. I'm trying to think of the last place I flew. I flew, my wife and I, in March of last year, we went to Las Vegas, had a good time. Before that, we, um, I flew to Italy in September of, or no, um, uh, the fall of 2019. And I'd gotten married right before that. And I flew to... Um, I flew to uh, our honeymoon destination, which was in Aruba. Before that, I hadn't flown in about, I don't know, five or six years. So I don't fly much. If I fly once a year, that's a lot, right? So I don't really remember having any experiences with unruly passengers. I don't remember anybody going on a plane and making a scene or anything of that nature. I don't remember... Now, I'm asleep most of the time that I'm on these planes. I, I just, I'm conked out. I sleep the whole time. 
uh, or, you know, I'll read one of the two. I did see a movie on a plane once or twice. But anyway, I am so into my own head and I'm so oblivious, just, even in the life. There, there's just craziness that's happening on my left, on my right. Unless someone points it out to me, I have no idea. And I would not know if there was an unruly passenger, probably. However, I read the news every day. I mean, I read five, six, you know, seven newspapers, plus a lot of these news uh, compendiums, these email newsletters, and some are better than others. But, you you know, I get exposed to a lot of news, at least in in terms of headlines. And I am shocked at how often I see a story of an unruly passenger causing some sort of a disturbance on an airplane. Somebody's got to land somewhere. Uh, somebody's being arrested. The unruly passengers doing all sorts of things. So I must admit, I was intrigued by this idea that I came across two days ago from the good folks over at Delta. Delta, the airline. They have nothing to do with the Delta variant of COVID or anything like that. Delta sent a letter to the U.S. Attorney General Merrick Garland last week asking for the federal government's help in setting up a nationwide no-fly list for people who misbehave, sometimes violently, on planes. So they shared the letter, the good folks at Delta shared the letter with uh, NPR, and this is what the letter reads in part. In addition to the welcome increase in enforcement and prosecutions, we are requesting you support our efforts with respect to the much-needed step of putting any person convicted of onboard disruption on a national, comprehensive, unruly passenger no-fly list that would bar that person from traveling on any commercial air carrier. Now, it's been reported by Reuters and others, and it's ignited quite a debate over whether there should be a new national no-fly list. My question for you is, especially if you fly a lot, but even if you don't, what's your take on this? Should we, as Delta wants to do, make it so that unruly passengers end up on a national no-fly list? I'll give you my take, but I'd love to hear yours. 800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. I'll tell you why I'm not for this. For two reasons. Now, let's say you make a scene on um, on a on a plane, and you force the plane to uh, make an emergency landing. In almost every one of those instances, for a serious disturbance, you're going to be arrested. You're going to be arrested, and if the penalty, if the transgression is bad enough, you're going to be sent to prison. Now, I'm of the belief that you commit a crime, you do the time, or pay the piper, whatever the punishment entails, and then you just get on with your life. I don't believe in this, uh, once you are an unruly passenger, let's say you're drunk, let's say you have a, a mental illness episode, I don't think that should prohibit you from flying for the rest of your life. 
let's say you're an unruly passenger in the year 2022, and then, you know, you're going through some tough times, you get drunk on the plane, you're drunk before you go on the plane, and you're dealing with some issues, and you cause a disturbance. Ten years later, you're straightened out, you're sober, sober as a judge, and some judges sober than others, obviously, and you're you're fine. And let's say you live in California, your mother dies in New York. You're not able to get on an airplane to go to her funeral? No. I don't think that's right. I don't think that's right. And the other reason I'm not for this, and again, I'd much rather hear your take on this at 800-848-9222. The other reason I'm not for this is have you seen what a disaster these previously established government no-fly lists are? Like the one that, that the TSA runs for suspected terrorists. We've seen instances of children being on the TSA no-fly list and others. Uh, so I agree with the people at the ACLU on this. I think this is a bad idea. Um, at, at what we've seen, and we I'm using the royal we here, at, what we've seen is any experience with government watch lists and government ban lists has not been a good one. It never works out well. Never works out well. And the the now the ACLU, for instance, they've sued the government on behalf of people who were put on the TSA's no fly list without being told why they were included or how to be removed. So that's exactly my concern is that this no fly list would grow, is that it would start with just people convicted. Then it goes to people that aren't convicted, but people that are arrested. Then it goes from people that aren't even arrested, but the they act up, they mouth off to the flight attendant or somebody else on the plane. And I'm just I'm just concerned about the slippery slope of putting on someone on a list and not allowing them to fly commercial ever again. So I don't think this is a good idea, but if you've been if you know they say nobody as that great poet Pete Townsend has said, nobody appreciates the power of a flame more than someone that's been burned. So if you've been the victim of an unruly passenger, maybe you think this is a good idea. If so, call me and tell me why. There are one, two, three, four, five, six open lines, 800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. According to Jay Stanley, who's with the ACLU, he has said that the government has fought tooth and nail against basic fairness and due process protections, uh, which makes him skeptical of another proposed no-fly list. So um, tell me what you think. 800-848-WABC, that's 800-848-9222. Now, the other thing I don't, the other reason I don't like this is it do, it's a different punishment for different people. Like if Matt Blaze and I commit a crime and both of us end up going to prison, that punishment is the same for us. I mean, I, I think I think I may have more friends in prison than Matt does. I'm, I don't know. I can't say that with certitude. So I might have a slightly easier time, but I might have more enemies in prison than Matt does. But the point is, it's an equal punishment. We both go to prison. We're both deprived of our freedom. We can't go to the mall. What else do people like to do? We can't. Uh, I don't know. Um, they have ping pong tables in prison, so you can't say you can't play ping pong. What else do I, I? I don't know. Whatever you can't do when you're in prison, you can't go out. Can't go to the beach, right? Can't go to the beach in prison. It's an equal punishment for us. But if someone like me is put on the no fly list, I wouldn't even notice. 
I wouldn't even notice because I don't, I don't really fly. I fly so infrequently that it doesn't matter. But if Matt Blaze flies, you know, jet-setting across the world once a month, then that's a severe punishment for him. That is a heavy, heavy burden for him, whereas for me, no difference at all, virtually. You see what I mean? It's a different punishment depending on your flying habits as opposed to the transgression. So give me a call, 800-848-9222. What do you think of this proposal for a no-fly list for unruly passengers? Three choices, yay, nay, or undecided. If you're undecided, I want to know why you're undecided. 800-848-WABC. And don't worry, we're not going to implement that Jeff Filt Schilling two-minute rule. You'll have as much time as you need as long as you continue to be compelling. Uh, let me say hello to Sal in Brooklyn. Hello, Sal. Hey, Frank. Hi. Hey. How you doing, buddy? Listen, uh, you know, you actually you had me. Uh, I, I was going to go one way, but then I listened to you, and I kind of kind of agree. First of all, I, I think it depends on the severity of the incident. Uh, oh, by the way, you know, people in Staten Island, like yourself, they don't travel much unless they get the uh, sentence at a they get sentenced out of state when they got to go. <laughs> I was waiting for it, Sal. I was waiting. I knew there was a jab at my hometown coming. I just wasn't sure where. <laughs> hey, much respect, buddy, you know. All right. So I personally think that it's a reflection of society, what goes on in here. And I think, you know, we've degraded as a society in, in certain ways. Um you know, the, and I think the, the airlines are a reflection of that. I think as far as the uh, the no-fly, at first I was like, hey, you do something wrong. I'm a pretty hardliner with certain things. I was like, you do something wrong like that, you should be banned for the rest of your life. But we've all done crazy things. I mean, I know I have this when I was younger. I think it depends on the severity and the frequency of your, your infractions. And then I have no problem with somebody being banned. All right. Well, fair enough, uh, Sal. Thank you. Appreciate the call. You know, it's funny. A friend of mine, my friend Kyle, I have no problem telling you uh, because I don't think he might. My friend Kyle O'Brien, he was on uh, a plane. This is right before September 11th. This is so it's over 20 years ago. He's on a plane and um, they were flying JetBlue, which at the time, I don't know what the policy is now, but at the time they had no limit on the amount of drinks that you could have. And so Kyle's on this airplane, and he gets soused. I mean, he's as drunk as can be. And he had a, from what I remember, he he was not a good flyer. He would always get nervous and things like that. He, even if he took a pill, he'd get nervous. So he gets drunk on this JetBlue flight. And then this JetBlue flight starts experiencing really severe turbulence. I mean, alarming levels of turbulence, so much so that the uh, – the pilot's trying to calm everyone down. Uh, passengers are flipping out. <laughs> and Kyle, and again, I want you to keep in mind the context. This is very much a pre-9-11 episode. Kyle gets up out of his seat and starts ch- jumping around in the middle of this turbulence and says, we're all going to die. <laughs> and I don't mean to laugh because I'm sure it was not funny Except to Kyle and the, my friend Tim, who was traveling with Kyle, but I could see Kyle have been arre- being arrested these days for doing something like that. Now, should Kyle never be able to fly again? I don't think so. You make him pay a fine, maybe even do some prison time, maybe make him six months suspension from commercial uh, flying, but a lifetime of non no flying. 
I don't think so. 800-848-9222. Bruce is in San Pedro. Hello, Bruce. Hey, Frank. How you doing? You know, funny story. I maybe hadn't heard this, but about a month ago, the students or the flight attendants, excuse me, were actually begging the airlines to start serving liquor, hard liquor, because there were so many fights and there was so many, you know, because of masks and all this kind of nonsense. So apparently the liquor <laughs> chilled, chilled people out because they were sick of it. And I'll tell you, I used to fly a lot, and I saw a few incidents, but now, like you said, post-9-11, I used to fly a lot. I would never act up on a plane. you kidding? I'm like a saint. Oh, yeah, especially, especially, you know, they have sky marshals on a lot of these airplanes. And um, I know that. Believe me, I met one. (laughs) Oh, no, my friend James, he's retired now, but my friend James was a sky marshal. And let me tell you, these guys don't mess around. They they will. uh, No, they don't. They'll knock you out as soon as look at you. Believe me. No, they will, and they don't screw around. Like, and and you don't. You could be sitting right next to the guy. You don't know who he is. Oh, no, exactly, exactly. My friend James, who exactly. um, he's been a guest on the show before. Maybe we'll have him back. Thanks, Bruce. I, you know what? I'm going to ask him about this. I should have asked him about this. But my friend James, who was a sky marshal, he ended up sitting one day next to George Carlin of all people on the airplane. How cool is that? You're a sky marshal protecting everybody, and you get to sit next to George Carlin. That's pretty cool. Eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. Sky is in Texas. Sky, you said something interesting the other day. What was it? Uh, I recommended a film. Yeah. Oh, you were, you were the one that recommended Gabriel, Gabriel over the over uh, the White House. Yes, sir. Did you see it yet? No. Where, I looked for it on Apple Television and on Spectrum Cable. No luck. So I think I just have to order it from Amazon because it sounds great. And since you mentioned it last week, I've been deluged with other people that have been asking me about it and talking about it. So you really, you sparked quite a uh, firestorm with that recommendation. Well, I think I may have a copy, a DVD copy in my uh, library. I saw it on Turner Classic Films, and I ordered it from them as soon as I saw it, and that was a few years ago. Yeah, I I think I did see that they have the DVD for sale on Amazon, so I'm going to look. Anyway... I'm awake now. I'm a retired lawman. I did 30 years, over 30 years in law enforcement. If someone is disruptive on a flight, I think it should be, um, would depend on the circumstances. And they may be banned from that particular airline for whatever period of time the airline determines, but maybe they should just fly another airline. I'm of their mind, um, because you sound a little bit, (laughs) how can I say it? The consequences in law enforcement of folks who are injuring law officers and killing law officers, there are no consequences. So even if you're a civilian and you get injured or killed, the district attorneys are letting people out of jail. So let's talk about DUI. If you get DUI, 10, 12 DUIs, and you get uh, jailed for it, that's not a consequence for people who are chronic alcoholics, and they're never going to be cured of drinking. My solution to drunk driving is if someone gets convicted of, say, two or three drunk drivers driving incidents, you completely destroy the vehicle. You impound it and destroy it. They never can get that car back again. Then if a friend or relative loans them a car, that friend is going to lose that car if that person gets stopped for DUI again. Because people drive without licenses. I'm, I'm, numerous times I've stopped people who 
either did not have a license, had their license suspended, or they didn't care. So it all comes down to the consequences. Well, thank you. Thank you, Scott. You were uh, definitely the beneficiary of uh, Matt Blaze needing to go to the bathroom and not being at the controls because he didn't have to he didn't play the Academy Award music for you. And that would have been a clear indication that it was probably time to bring that uh, that phone call in for a landing. Got a little off the beaten path there, but we cut you some slack anyway because of the Gabriel over the White House recommendation. But. Uh, I, I don't I don't think that the comparison is a, a perfect metaphor. I don't think it's necessarily analogous. I think, um, you know, we can have a debate over whether or not someone's car should be destroyed for a DUI or a DWI. I, I think it's a totally separate discussion from this Delta proposal for a, a, a no-fly list. Eric is in Manhattan. Hello, Eric. Hold on one second. Damn it, Nancy. Hold on. Uh, I'm sorry, Frank. Oh, uh, yeah, half awake, but it's, it's worth it. All right. Sorry, Frank. Um, okay, so instead of the unruly passengers, you have the unruly passenger flight. And they have the right to you. you, you we'll figure out how we fill once the flight fills up for the week. So that's a separate thing. They have the right to tase you, like, you know, if you're bad. Uh, they can handcuff you to the, to the seat if you're bad. I'll, I'll, something a la Con Air, you know what I mean? It's just for unruly passengers. And it's a lot funnier than the, than the no-flight list. Well, I like that, Eric. You know, maybe and maybe with that in mind, and I like that film, Con Air. And again, that was a film where, you know, they were all prisoners. But um, maybe we can have a no first class flying list, right, where you can have a ban on flying first class, right? I could be okay with that from a civil liberties perspective. You act up on a plane. You cause the plane to make an emergency landing. All right. You pay your debt to society. You pay your fine. You do your six months, your or year commercial airline suspension, but then even after that, nope, you can't fly first class anymore. Okay, all right, I can deal with that. Uh, we will do. Uh, we'll take your calls in just a minute. Eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. Still to come, we have Ralph Romeo uh, coming up. He is an interesting guy. Got a great voice, and uh, he'll join me at four thirty. We'll chat about Andrew Cuomo's possible comeback. Which I predicted, by the way. I'm going to go. I wish. Um, now, I, I, sometimes I wish this, but most of the time I, I don't because I say so many dopey things. But I wish I had the ability to just go and search like you can with Google everything that I've ever said on this show and then pull up what I said. Uh, now, with this detailed log that uh, Matt Blaze and Molly have developed, we have that. And maybe we can do that prospectively, but we can't do that going back three or four months. And we're still sort of dependent upon Matt Blaze. Now, so if we could do that, you would hear the show that I did right after it was reported that Andrew Cuomo was running for governor. And I said he's not going to run for governor. He's going to run for attorney general. I I absolutely said that. So we're going to get into that with um, Ralph Romeo at 430 and uh, and a whole bunch of other things between then now and then. This is The Other Side of Midnight, 800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. Straight ahead. W-A-B-C. I could use a dream or a genie or a wish to go back to a... This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. So, um, you know, they say with every crisis comes some good things, right? I mean... I guess the best example is uh, is the Titanic, and I hate to use this example, but, I mean, I will. After the Titanic uh, sank and there weren't enough life preservers for everybody, it totally changed 
how safety protocols took place for ocean liners. You had to have enough life preservers and enough life rafts for everybody. And you had to do regular safety drills. So now, to this day, when you take a cruise, you have to go on one of those safety drills. Well, such is the case in the Murano household where we have our own safety drills. Now, it's no secret that um, at my residence has become a place, and I like this kind of environment, but my wife really hasn't. And for a while, she warmed to it, but she's cooled in a, in a, in a hurry. My residence has become a place known as a place that you can just pop in at and a place where you can just go in. And if you're in the neighborhood, you know, if you knock on the door, you will be welcomed. And there'll always be a cocktail waiting for you, a cigar, and some sort of something to eat, some refreshments, along with some very compelling conversation. So what happened? And, you know, ping pong. So what has happened is people just stop by. All the time. All the time. So Sunday, uh, let me give you a little context. I am a big fan of the television program Ozark. You watch Ozark, Matt? Have you seen this new season that's out now? Yeah, I did it in two days. Two, you did it in two days? Yeah, five episodes in one shot and then two more. How was it? I don't want to – don't give any spoilers. How was it? It was good. It's – um. It's good. That's all I want to say. All right. I don't want to. Very. Use, uh, I don't even want to show anything. That's a very compelling. I'm not going to tell, uh, tell you anything. Very compelling review there. It's Matt. very good. There you go. You could see that on a poster, right? Uh, Ozark posters all over the <laughs> well, country. You don't want to know. You said it you was know good, anything. Matt Blaze. You, you said you don't know anything. Yeah, I know, but no, I mean, okay. You could say, oh, it's very uh, dramatic, or it's very. Uh, okay. It's shocking. All right. Okay. Is it really shocking, or is it not? All right, don't say <laughs> see, anything more. See, don't you say don't anything. More. Don't say anything more. Stop. Okay. Thank you. Um, but. The so anyway, I watched the television program Ozark, and unlike Matt Blaze, I have not seen this season, and I'll tell you why. Because I'm I am the biggest moron you've ever met, right? Don't make that a drop where you repeatedly drop it into me saying stupid things. But I will say yes to anything asked by anyone. If you see me on the street and you ask me, "Hey, Frank." Uh, I need you to be on the uh, board of directors. Somebody asked me to be on the board of directors for something the other day. I don't even remember what it was. I, I said yes. And then I hung up. Oh, yes. I said, well, what did I just say yes to? I've never been to one. I don't remember what it was, but they asked me to be on the board, and I agreed. If you stop me on the street and ask me to be to do anything, I will say yes. And then I'll spend a lot of, it'll be a great deal of difficulty trying to make yes a reality. So anyway, Right before the new season of Ozark came out, maybe about a month or so ago, another couple that we're friends with, they they text me because they know I watch Ozark, but my wife doesn't. And they said, hey, the new season of Ozark is coming out. We should do an Ozark day. I said, that's great. It's a great idea. And we'd been wanting to get together with them for a while because they're, you know, they had a baby and the babies could meet and all that baby stuff. Well, I get some Ozark watching it. So we go there, we have brunch with them, and there's no Ozark watching. So now I'm in a position where I have not watched this series, this new season of this series, which I really enjoy, because I have made a commitment to watch at least the first few episodes with this other couple. So I send a lengthy email on this front because I want to watch the show. 
and Rachel doesn't want to watch it. I say maybe this is a good opportunity for Rachel to have some alone time, some Rachel time. She could go out, she could get her nails done, or whatever wives do when they're not with their husbands. But I, um, so I say maybe we can aim for this Sunday. I go over that with Rachel. She said, yes, this Sunday is the only open day you have on the calendar for the next five months, practically. But she, so that's that, right? So that was what I was gearing towards. But my friend Craig, I haven't seen him in a couple of years and his wife. And I had made arrangements for him to come over. Now, the thing you got to understand, my friend Craig, is he is one of the flakier people that you'll ever meet. And I viewed his acceptance of coming over at best, at best, 50-50. I thought for sure he was going to cancel because he got two little kids, right? I mean, uh, that apparently throws your whole schedule into upheaval. Who's sick? Who's got a sporting event? Who's got this? Who's got that? So also, my, my wife's sister, Deborah, one of her eight siblings, she was going to come over. So now we have two people slated to come over on Sunday. Craig and his wife, my wife's sister, Deborah. Deborah also can be a little on the flaky side. So I write to this Ozark couple. You follow me? So we're now dealing with three different sets of entities here. We have the Craig couple. Deborah, the wife, my sister-in-law, and we have the Ozark couple. Those are the people we're dealing with. So I write to the Ozark couple. I said, look, my friend Craig is folks to come over. I give it at best a 50-50 chance of happening. Um, further, Rachel's sister, Deborah, is supposed to come over. I give that a 30% chance of happening. If both of those scheduled outings don't come to fruition... Why don't you come over and we'll watch Ozark? Great. Good. I They indicated that they understood this and had no problem being a backup plan. That was the in, implication, and, and it was very explicit. It was not an implication. It was explicit. So we go into Sunday. Shockingly, Craig has not canceled. He's reiterated that day that he and his wife are coming over with their two girls. Great. Not so shockingly, my sister-in-law, Deborah, indicates... She's not coming over. So now I'm thinking, okay, maybe we can still get Ozark in. Craig is supposed to come over 1, 1.30. What do we spend, two hours together, three hours, maybe four hours? That leaves an hour or two for potential Ozark viewing. So Craig is supposed to come over between 1 and 2 p.m. So I scheduled my whole day around this. They don't come over until 3.30 in the afternoon. Now, you know, somebody that's got as much to do as we do, that's a killer. I mean, that's tough. Additionally, my brother Alexander was supposed to come over on Saturday. He messages me Saturday night. Eh, we're not going to make the trip all the way out to where you live today. Maybe we'll come by tomorrow. We're going to be on, you know, on your island tomorrow. Maybe we'll come by tomorrow. Fine. You're always welcome. Alex is a very low-maintenance person to entertain. He and his uh, longtime companion. So... We get a basically a bottleneck. Craig and his wife don't come over until later in the afternoon, around 3, 30, 4 o'clock. And we're entertaining them. We're having lunch. We're having a good time, playing ping pong. Bah, 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 bah. Then around 4.45, my brother Alexander and his girlfriend come over. Okay, good. All right. So this uh, is uh, – now keep in mind, I'm playing beep the clock here 
because I am just hoping that I can get a nap by 7.30, 8 o'clock so that I can sleep for 45 minutes or an hour and be semi-coherent to entertain you starting at 1 a.m. So then I see I'm down in the basement playing ping pong with Craig and with Alex, and things are going well. I'm thinking the, the day is sort of wrapping up. Then I see the male portion of the Ozark couple coming down the basement. I said, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. What are you doing here? And, and apparently there was this whole series of group text messages that I didn't see where they, they were in touch with Rachel about whether they should come over or not. And they came over. So now we have Alexander and his girlfriend, Craig and his wife, the Ozark couple. And because there's all these other people around, not, not a lot of Ozark watching. And Craig and his wife have their two kids. The Ozark couple has their baby. So now we're up to two, four, six, eight, nine people all at once, all at once. And, you know, my wife is just tickled pink at having to entertain all these people, who she likes, by the way. <laughs> then Craig and his wife and their two girls leave. And we're sort of like, okay, all right, we're getting down to a more manageable situation. I still have to work on the show. I still have to try and get to sleep. Getting down to a more manageable situation here. All of a sudden, my, my brother Nick was around the corner visiting my Aunt Camille and uh, he said, well, you know, we're wrapping up at Aunt Camille's. Maybe we'll come over. I said, okay, that's good. You can give Alex a ride back to Brooklyn. I'm thinking it helps everyone. So Nicholas comes over with his fiance. So now we're back up to six, uh, eight adults at one time. Alexander and his longtime companion leave. They opt to take the bus. They don't even take the ride. Just so happens, right before he leaves, my Uncle Steve pops over he decides he needs some computer help for his business. He's not the most computer literate person. So if he needs documents scanned or stuff responded to, Rachel and I will help him. And so Rachel was helping him for a long time, maybe about 45 minutes. And then she turned to me and she said, I have to tag out here. And she sees everybody having fun around her and she wants to be part of the pump. You need to take over for me here. So then I start helping my uncle. And now I am just looking at this clock and I'm saying, okay, I'm not getting any sleep today. It's going to be bad. So, um, I finished with my uncle, and then I'm left with the Ozark couple, my brother Nick, and his fiance. And it's now 8.30, and I am just worried that I am not going to get any sleep before the show. So I say, all right, uh, it's a blast having everybody here. I have to go to bed. I have to get to sleep. I'm sorry. Now, my thinking is that everybody's going to leave when I go to sleep, right? I mean, that's kind of a not-so-subtle cue to wrap up. It's like when Matt Blaze plays the Academy Award music. So, sure enough, my brother Nick leaves shortly after I go to bed. And the Ozark couple stays for another hour or so. And they're so loud. They're carrying on. Try and get some sleep in that Wow, instance. wow, wow. I mean, that's what Rita would have been saying had she heard the cackle of the male portion of the Ozark couple. So lo and behold, I felt terrible for for my wife. Uh, she she got she came to bed right around the time that I was leaving. And again, this is after Chase, you know, dealing with a two and a half month old all day, all weekend, all 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 two and a half months. And she says, we can't do this anymore. We can't have this many people over ever again. And I said, I don't know what happened, honey. It just happened. So yesterday, she says to me, she's still smarting from having to entertain all these people Sunday and having to clean all these wine glasses and having to deal with all these pizza boxes and 
Uh, meanwhile, I had to pay to feed all these people, so that was not that necess- necessarily that pleasant either. So she said, now, we already committed to invite people over for the Super Bowl. She said, listen, I think we have to have a new rule. And I knew before she said it what it was going to be, a moratorium on Sunday visits. She says, absolutely. I think our new rule is after noon on Sunday, after brunch time on Sunday, we can't be with anybody. We, we have to be just – it has to be a hard and fast rule. Because, uh, you know, you're not able to help with the cleaning. You're not able to help with the entertaining because you have to do the show and you have to go to bed. And uh, I readily agreed, not only because it's a wise rule, but for the sake of marital harmony, to go along with the moratorium on future Sunday visits post-Super Bowl. So if you're lucky enough to have been invited over for uh, the Super Bowl, as uh, I know, you know, a couple of people have. I mean, I don't have a big place you know you could the seating for maybe six people that will be the last sunday shindig for the foreseeable future that is the new sunday rule and the big winner is going to be you the listener because that means i'll ultimately be able to spend more time working on the show on sundays and more time thank you yes i know you're excited and maybe even sometimes sleeping so that won't be the case next sunday next sunday is grandfathered in because it is a holiday it's valentine's day eve and it's the Super Bowl, it's a dual holiday. So uh, I'll still probably be as incoherent and exhausted as I normally am on Mondays next week. But going forward, you are in for a treat, I must tell you. 800-848-WABC. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. Straight ahead. WABC. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano, 77 WABC. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. That's the theme song to The Sopranos. If you're uh, interested in uh, stuff related to the mob, uh, you got to check out my new podcast, The Racket Report. Just search that uh, wherever podcasts are available or go to wabcradio.com and uh, click on podcasts. There's some interesting stuff in there. And uh, we're going to have a new edition this week, which I think is going to really knock your socks off. I heard... Um, Steve Sharippa on with Bernie and Sid the other day promoting that uh, he's performing at the State St. George Theater, a live version of their Talking Sopranos podcast, which is quite good. I uh, have plans this Saturday, but uh, if I didn't, I would be there. It's uh, really a uh, terrific podcast. Now, have you been following Fishgate? So Fishgate broke over the weekend. The first place I saw that it was reported was in Politico, New York. Uh, by a terrific journalist named Sally Goldenberg, who interviewed several of the waiters that uh, at restaurants where Eric Adams dines. Now, for much of the last few years that Eric Adams has been in public life, he has loudly proclaimed that he loves salads, beets, lentils, and green smoothies. And he said that that has transformed his diet And that has changed his life. But yesterday, New York's first purportedly vegan mayor was confronted with several accounts of his dining on fish in public. And he acknowledged 
that he was imperfect and had not always stuck to a strictly vegan diet. He's not a vegan. He's a pescatarian. Oh, yes. So uh, there were all sorts of reports of him eating fish, even while he was saying vegan, 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 vegan. And I had heard that he ate fish from a mutual acquaintance of ours that dines with Eric Adams occasionally. And I said, okay, well, whatever. What do I care what the mayor eats? So I'm curious what you think. If you think that now, look, the mayor didn't admit to eating fish until he was caught. It's like he didn't apologize for that cracker video until he was caught. Does the fact that Eric Adams, I don't want to say he lied because he didn't say, oh, I've never eaten fish and will never eat fish. Instead, he was misleading. I think that's the way to put it. Does the fact that the mayor misled you about his diet give you any doubts about other things? 800-848-WABC. Instead, while he does occasionally eat fish, he said his best advice is to follow a plant-based approach. He said, quote, here's my message. The more plant-based meals you have, the healthier you're going to be. That's what he told reporters yesterday. Don't worry about what's on Mayor Adams' plate. Put these items on your plate. I got to tell you, I mean, I I think he's right. I mean, who cares what he's eating? Fishgate, I don't know. It's uh, Fishgate is for the birds. Uh, Now, you couple that with the other instances of Mayor Adams purportedly stretching the truth. There have been questions about where he lives. There have been questions about his failure to report rental income, for which he blamed his accountant, who's, of course, now homeless. Um, He acknowledged that a story he told at his commencement address about a neighbor's dog didn't actually happen to him. Uh, So the troubling thing is not whether the mayor eats fish or not. The troubling thing is if this is part of a pattern of not telling the truth. Because if it is, it will very quickly come to define his mayoralty. And again, I, I want to be very clear. I'm rooting for Eric Adams to do well. And uh, I think he will do well. But if this becomes as part of a much a part of his mayoralty as Bill de Blasio's lateness did with his mayoralty, then it becomes something that nobody wants. So, and the thing that was troubling to me on Monday and again, I don't want to act like I'm uh, being too tough on the mayor here. But the thing that was troubling to me on Monday is the mayor didn't just admit right away, yeah, I eat fish. I'll tell you, I eat fish. I I could deal with a couple of responses. Yes, I eat fish. No, I don't eat fish. Or no, it's none of your business. Because diet can be a personal thing for a lot of people. Any of those responses that I'm uh, that that he would have given, I'd be fine with. But at first on Monday, when the mayor was asked about this, and there were repeated instances of people catching him eating fish, he refused to say whether he ate fish or animal products. He said, "Quote: Some people want to call me vegan, but he pointed out that some vegans eat Oreo cookies, and he does not." He appeared annoyed that he kept getting uh, asked questions about his diet. Those who have questions on what I'm eating, I'm over 18 and I know how to take care of myself. 
If you haven't noticed, look at the pictures of yesteryears and then look at the pictures now. I wear my suit so much better than I did eight years ago. And that's all true. That is all true. He actually wrote a book two years ago about his health journey where he talks about plant-based eating. Uh, But there were a number of hints that Mayor Adams had flirted with pescatarianism, including a report in the New York Post over the summer that when Mayor Adams dined at Rayo's with my friend Todd Shapiro and our boss, John Katsimatidis, that he ate broiled fish and spinach at Rayo's in East Harlem. Now, his campaign didn't acknowledge that. They said he ate eggplant parmesan without the cheese. And then when Mayor, you know, so is it part of a pattern or is it people trying to make a big deal about Fishgate because the New York City press corps makes mountains out of molehills? What do you think? 800-848-WABC. Now, even more controversial than this is the mayor's remarks on cheese yesterday. And uh, we have the audio of what the mayor said on the subject of cheese. This is what he said. Eric eat fish. Does he eat a hamburger? Does he do this? Does he do that? Does he do this? You know, I mean, it's just. Listen, here's my message. The more plant-based meals you have, the healthier you are going to be. New Yorkers, don't beat yourself up. No one is perfect in this city. And if you look at a person who states, I'm the mayor of the city of New York and I'm perfectly imperfect. So if I can be the mayor, then you can be the teacher, the engineer, and anything you want. Ignore the noise. Don't worry about what's on Mayor Adams' plate. Put these items on your plate. Because I'm living a healthier lifestyle. And I'm encouraging New Yorkers to have as many plant-based meals as possible. Because the science is clear. The more you eat plants, the more you eat fruits, the more you have a healthy lifestyle away from over-processed food, the healthier you are going to be. I know how I feel every day, and I want you to feel the same way every day. Now, the mayor went on to say that, and everything he said there is absolutely right, and that's something that can't be repeated often enough, not just by the mayor, but by everybody. That's a very positive message, and I think we'd all be better off, myself included, by adhering to that. But then he went on to say this, and this is quite controversial, and I think maybe he went a little too far here. He said, food is addictive. You take someone on heroin, heroin, okay? You take someone on heroin, put them in one room, and someone hooked on cheese, put them in another room, and you take it away. I challenge you to tell me the person who's hooked on heroin and who's hooked on cheese. Well, let me volunteer for that challenge, Mr. Mayor. I will guarantee you... If you give me 100 opportunities to pick the heroin addict versus the cheese addict, I will be able to pick the heroin addict. Again, I'm not saying cheese is good for you, although there is some evidence to suggest that it does have some health benefits. But for the mayor to um, compare heroin to cheese is just, uh, I mean, we must be talking about Swiss cheese because that comparison is full of holes. Their heroin is a 
remarkably dangerous subject uh, substance when used recreationally. Cheese is something that maybe isn't good for you, but it is nowhere near the level of addictiveness of of heroin. It's not, not. I give up cheese, you know, during Lent. I'm not sitting there getting uh, withdrawal symptoms. A friend of mine is a heroin addict, right? He, I mean, he's not doing it now, thankfully. But he started robbing banks because he was so strung out on heroin and went to prison. You show me the last cheese addict that was robbing banks because they were so strung out on, on string cheese. Come on. Uh, the mayor did what he so often does. This is, uh, and this is what Molly refers to as the hyperboles, right? We have to police this amount of hyperbole because it's a little excessive. The mayor took a good point, a great point, about healthy eating and a plant-based diet and the way that you can use diet to transform your life. And then he made an idiotic comparison which belies his point on everything else that he said. Cheese might not be great for you. I'm not here, sitting here saying it's a health food. Although, you know, you look at some, the fat-free regat or fat-free cottage cheese, I think it can be a health food in many respects. It's a great source of lean protein. It's low-calorie sometimes. Um, but let's say we're talking about, um, you know, less healthier cheeses. Fine. It's not heroin. Sorry. Um, you Eight, comment as you see fit, 800-848-WABC. Maybe you agree with the mayor, 800-848-9222, and uh, you're welcome to comment as you see fit. Let me say hello to uh, Charlie in Manhattan. Hello, Charlie. Hey, Frank, how you doing? So I wanted to talk about something you said earlier. You said, yeah, you knew uh, the, the subway vigilante and that you were friends with him. And I just want to say, well, I have even more respect for you, which I had a lot of respect for you to begin with. Well, he's listening right now. He's a regular listener to the show, Charlie. Oh, well, let me give him a shout out. Let me give him a big thumbs up, a big hello. And I was wondering maybe you could have him on as a guest sometime. Given what's happening in the subways down, I'm thinking about obviously what I used to say about the poor Asian woman who was pushed to her death by on the tracks by a mentally ill person. I'm thinking either that or a person addicted to cheese and couldn't control themselves. That's right. Yeah, those cheese addicts you got to watch out for them. The worst than the heroin addicts. Yeah, but uh, according at least according to the current mayor. But but given seriously, given how dangerous the subways have become. You know, maybe another Bernard Getz is called for, or I was wondering maybe you could have uh, maybe you could have uh, the the, uh, the subway uh, vigilante on. on all right, show. well, look, Char- Bernie's got my number. He's welcome on this show anytime, as I've uh, always told him. Molly, you had something to add on the subject of cheese addiction. Are you a recovering uh, cheese addict? I don't want to quit, Frank. All right, well, so um, I'm not telling you to quit, but Eric <laughs> Adams is. So, no, I know Eric Adams is, and I think he's fallen into a very dangerous trap here, which is moralizing food. As soon as you as soon as you apply ethics and morals to food, you have a very dangerous relationship there. I I think uh, I think that's very true. And, you know, he now is misspoke. In a way that's probably offensive to I people don't, I don't who are think recovering he views addicts. This as misspeaking, I think he really believes this because it wasn't as if you know he uh, it was kind of off the off the cuff here. I mean, this he was very adamant about this. Well, then I I I would like to speak directly to Eric Adams right now and say that you, you're people are going to criticize you for saying 
all this stuff about being vegan and then going and eating fish because you yourself are policing what people are eating. So I, I have, I've had a lot of friends in my life who have been very open with me about their eating disorders. And one person gave me very good advice and I will never forget it. She was 16 when she said this to me, but a friend of mine said, eyes on your own plate. There you go. I think that's a very sound philosophy. And that's what Eric Adams was saying before comparing cheese addicts to heroin addicts. Who would have thought that the uh, the beginning of the Adams mayoralty would be defined primarily not by crime or failures to remove snow, but by his rather uh, weirdly worded remarks about both cheese and crackers? I certainly wouldn't have predicted it. 800-848-WABC. Uh, Joseph is on Staten Island. Hello, Joseph. Hey, Frank. It's, how are you, man? Um, I want to talk to you about something. Uh, I uh, I want to say that we have a great leader in Bo Hall. As you know, Vito Pacella has launched a major ini- initiative for our small businesses called Restaurant Month. Uh, it kicked off with the Restaurant New Year. And I just want to publicly praise him on this show for that, as well as standing up against these disgusting, despicable mandates that the governor implemented. And while she did allow for the counties to make those uh, decisions, he spoke clearly that he was opposed to the mask mandates. And I also have to say that he is a great fundamental check and balance on this mayor. I know you've been talking heavily about the mayor on the show, especially about um, his food mandates. But um, this bill president is a fundamental check and balance on this mayor. And that speaks volumes, especially when we've had bill presidents past who are more like rubber stamps for mayor. All right. Well, thank you, Joseph. Appreciate the call and appreciate you listening. Uh, all right. If you want to comment, you can do so. 800-848-WABC. A New York City institution is ending. I'll tell you about it in just a moment. Until the next hour, your influence counts, so use it. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Now, here's Frank Morano. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I am Frank Moreno, and I'm sorry to report that uh, a couple of days ago, we learned that it is the end of an era. You know, I, I remarked that to my friend Ron Kuby when I was uh, producing. Uh, I actually I may have even just been an intern on the Curtis and Kuby show. And uh, he, I, I, I remarked, I don't remember what I was saying. Oh, wow, that's the end of an era. And Ron said, that's the thing with eras is they end. Well, I suppose that's true. But it is indeed the end of an era for people familiar with New York. The iconic venue that made locals' dreams come true is set to be demolished and replaced 
with high-end housing. What am I talking about? If you're living outside the area, if you live in New York, you already know what I'm talking about. But if you're living outside the area, then you need to understand that the iconic catering hall, Grand Prospect Hall, will soon be no more. The new owners of Brooklyn's Grand Prospect Hall wedding venue have filed permits to replace the 119-year-old building with a multifamily building, the Victorian-era building, which I've been to many times, a beautiful building, in which uh, the family that, that owns this property hosted events for 35 years is now slated to be demolished. Ugh. Ah, hate that. 147 apartments, 180 underground parking spaces, an exercise rooms, and multiple recreational spaces, including one on the roof, will be built in its place. The opulent Park Slope Catering Hall, known for its long-running TV commercial in which the husband and wife, Michael and Alice, who run this place, stood on the building's center staircase and declared... We make your dreams come true as a 718 number appeared on the screen was sold for twenty two and a half million dollars last July following Michael's death in May of 2020 uh, from the coronavirus. See, the coronavirus it gets you every time. But so many of us know Grand Prospect Hall, not just from attending events there over the years, but from the iconic. TV commercials that have been airing, I I guess, since the mid-80s. You dreamed about it. It's been carefully planned. And here is the most important day of your life. We make your dreams come true. The Grand Prospect Hall. 718-788. And it's the end of an era. You won't be seeing those commercials around anymore. Those commercials were so well-known. you got to understand, those commercials were so well-known, even though they were just really in the New York area, they were satirized on Saturday Night Live. Saturday Night Live did a whole bunch of, uh, well, at least one major skit satirizing those commercials. Uh, This is what that sort of sounded like. Silks. Satins. Big drape with dust. Crystal goblets. Gold forks. Everything shiny. Anything you want, we have. At the Regal Promenade Pavilion. We're located in Queens, right across from where the taxis go to sleep. Amazing wedding for your niece with braces. She have a big princess dress with boobies on top. It'll look perfect dragging across our driveway. The roundest driveway in Queen. If it's a gay wedding, we're probably going to giggle a little bit. Yeah. It's the Regal Promenade Pavilion. We, we make, make your wedding look, look like, like a wedding. wedding. So it got me thinking how, uh, it's funny, as Molly was editing that commercial... All the other people were reacting to it, sharing memories of having seen that commercial over the course of the last 35 years, the the, the Grand Prospect Hall original commercial, because it just stuck with you. And 
there was a time, it's difficult for young people to imagine today, where there were not 9,000 channels or on-demand programming where you could just speak into your remote and it would bring up whatever it is you want to watch, unless, of course, what you want to watch is Gabriel over the White House. But there were just six commercial television stations. And it seemed like all 16 million of us in the New York area were glued were glued to them. And there were a whole bunch of TV commercials that didn't air nationally. It just aired locally in our area. So these were commercials that were local, just like that Grand Prospect Hall commercial, hyper-local, some for businesses down the street or around the corner. Most of them were very local and very low budget. They were unpolished, uninhibited, and you know what? They went viral in the days before anything went viral. They were kitschy, maybe they were annoying, and they were everywhere. Newsday did a a, a great piece by Vern Gay uh, over the weekend, actually maybe the previous weekend, in which they chronicled some of these best-known commercials. That's how I found this article because I got to be think got to thinking what are some of the best local commercials in our area commercials that weren't widely known but TV commercials that were known to all New Yorkers what were your favorites 800-848-WABC 800-848-9222 you know exactly what I'm talking about these are commercials that were instantly recognizable you remember the Golden's Deli commercial? You know who the voice of the Golden's Deli commercial was? Cousin Brucie. Cousin Brucie was great on that Golden's Deli commercial. I miss Golden's Deli, and I miss that commercial even more. Uh, and sometimes they were annoying. Sometimes they got under your skin, but they all demanded your attention. And once they had that, they probably had your business. What were some of your favorites? 800-848-WABC. That's 800 848 9222, that's 1-800-848-9222, your favorite local commercial. Now, sometimes uh, I know they they expanded beyond local and became national, uh, but I think the best example of a commercial or series of commercials for a local New York chain was an entity that you, I mean, you're already saying it to yourself, right? It's an entity whose prices were so low they were crazy. Get a color TV or a Sony Betamax or a TV video game. Get it now because Crazy Eddie can't be beat. With prices so low, he's practically giving it all away. Shop around, get the best prices you can find. Then go to Crazy Eddie and Crazy Eddie will beat him. Remember, Crazy Eddie guarantees you the largest selection, professionally staffed service centers, and the guaranteed lowest prices. Crazy Eddie, his prices are insane. You remember the other day we were talking about Mount Airy Lodge and I played the Mount Airy Lodge commercial? All you have to bring is your love of everything. A beautiful Mount Airy Lodge. That's one. What are some others? 800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Now, those Crazy Eddie commercials were everywhere. Everywhere. Now, it just it just so happens it turned out that Crazy Eddie himself, Eddie Antar, who was not the person there in that commercial... Crazy Eddie was a total crook and a con man. And in fact, I interviewed uh, Crazy Eddie's cousin, Sam Antar, about three years ago, and we spoke 
about that commercial. This is what Sam had to say about that commercial and the incredible impact that it had on Crazy Eddie. Tell me about those commercials specifically and the marketing success. Sam worked Eddie. with Crazy well, The Eddie. only kosher thing that came out of Crazy Eddie was the commercials <laughs> and the marketing success. Uh, the early developer of the commercials was a gentleman by the name of Larry Weiss. He was the producer. Uh, he was not involved in any of the frauds. Uh, you know, we kept the fraud pretty contained among certain members of the uh, family and other individuals that were very close to the family. And um, he... Um, these commercials became so famous that, as you said earlier, we pretty much uh, had b- better name recognition than Coca-Cola. We were parodied, parodied by Dan Aykroyd on Saturday Night I Live. I remember that. Witches, warlocks, conjurers, sorcerers, black magicians, white magicians. Uh, there was a, there was a, there used to be an HBO se- series called Not Necessarily the News. We had Iran-Contra. They had a crazy Ollie uh, character mimicking <laughs> Jerry Carroll uh, arms at prices that are insane. So Jerry Carroll was the DJ yes. in those commercials. But all of that, all of the parodying gave us implied credibility, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which enabled us to commit our crimes. You see, when you talk about crime, we always talk about the perps and the victims, but we never talk about the enablers. And in our case, the media, okay, for better or for worse, were the enablers. They increased Crazy Eddie's popularity, which made it easier for us to to commit our crimes. They also gave us a legitimacy that we truly didn't have, if you really knew the true Crazy Eddies. Now, think about what he's saying there. The marketing success, because of those commercials, was so ubiquitous that it gave them credibility enough to carry out their con and rip people up. And that's... That's an effective commercial. Uh, you know, I uh, maybe we, we, I know that um, John Katsimatidis always talks about the commercials for Palisades Amusement Park. And uh, there were a lot of great t- local TV commercials for theme parks, like Raceway Park uh, was one. Maybe we'll do one of those annoying, you know, commercials for for this show, maybe. Wouldn't that be fun? We, we, you know, everyone else is worried about Super Bowl ads. I'm going to work on we'll create a 30 second ad. For the other side of midnight, we'll have Prometheus, the alien out, and we'll we'll do something that that'll annoy people that are watching television in the middle of the night. But it's funny strolling down memory lane there, listening to Sam Antar refer to uh, that Bassomatic commercial that Dan Aykroyd did. That very much was a send up of Crazy Eddie, and it was hysterical. I mean, you remember those Bassomatic uh, Dan Aykroyd commercials, right? Yes, fish eaters, the days of troublesome scaling, cutting, and gutting are over. Because Super Bassomatic 76 is the tool that lets you use the whole bass with no fish waste without scaling, cutting, or gutting. Here's how it works. Catch a bass, remove the hook, and drop the bass. That's the whole bass into the Super Bassomatic 76. Now adjust the control dial so that that bass is blended just the way you like it. That was great. 800-848-WABC. Chris on Staten Island, did you have a favorite local commercial? Yes, I did. Hey, Jerry, what's the story? (laughs) GGE Factory Outlet. Uh, You You work for the city, state, or federal government. (laughs) That was uh, Jerry's Disco, right? I thought it was some factory outlet place. You had to be a union member and uh, or a city employee. Wait, so, hey, Jerry, what's the story? Was not Jerry's Disco? 
No, it was the lead-in. The guys, it, it, it was almost a takeoff on the Crazy Eddie commercial. Yeah, no, I remember the commercial. It was what's the story, Jerry? That's the story. Uh, oh, okay. Oh, it was JJE. It was not okay. It was for JJE. Oh, JJE, yes. Okay, well that's yeah that that is an issue. That was what, what era was that? That was like early nineteen seventy. I would say it's middle 70s, yeah. Yeah, uh, it, it, very interesting, uh, Chris. Uh, in fact, I, I think we have one of those Jerry's commercials uh, that uh, that will play. I think this was a little later because they branched into other business. Uh, let me hear Jerry. Hey, Jerry, what's the story? You want a party, you want a dance, you want a great night out, come on down to Jerry's Disco. But Jerry, what's the story? Unbelievable lights, unbelievable sound, giant dance floor, really big drinks, and a dive talk about atmosphere, in other words, see for yourself. The party starts every night at 9, and I'll be here waiting for you. That's the story, Jerry! That's so- the story! See, those are the ones... That I remember, and I'm doing a little research here, and I think it's actually referenced in this Newsday article, is what happened was this, is uh, Chris is right. It was JJE where those commercials started, which was an electronics store, 20 or 30 bucks cheaper than major retailers. And it was kind of a ripoff of Crazy Eddie. And then these commercials were so successful that they branched out into other businesses, including... Jerry's Disco. So I remember the commercial for Jerry's Disco, maybe because that was a little later than the JJE Electronics commercial. 800-848-WABC if you have a favorite local commercial from uh, days gone by and or a theory as to why they were so successful. Tom is in Lakewood. Hello, Tom. Oh, hey, Frank. How's it going? Uh, well, well um, I mean, it remains to be seen, I suppose, right? Still 43 minutes to figure that out. Great show tonight. Um, back in the day as a kid, I always remember um, the Albert Merrill School with Jimmy Randolph. So remind me how that one went. I don't remember that. There was a girl in the middle, um, looked like Columbus Circle, and she walks up to him. Are you Jimmy Randolph from the Albert Merrill School? <laughs> and um, then she, he took him to the computer school. I'm going to say maybe 75 to the early 80s. It was always especially on Channel 9 in the afternoon. Yeah, well, so Channel 9 had a lot of great, a, a lot of great kitschy, cheesy commercials like that. Thank you for that, Tom. My favorite, and I'm, I'm very pleased that I got to interview the man responsible for this uh, before he died. Maybe one day we'll play uh, some of his, his interviews, Cy Sperling. My favorite of, in that vein was the hair club for men. Now it's then it just became the hair club. But the hair club for men with Cy Sperling. You already know the ending. You just have to say hair club for men, and you already know that he wasn't just the president, right? I'm Cy Sperling, hair club for men, with some new important free information for men with thinning hair. Our own booklet, which you can get by calling our toll-free number, has been updated and expanded. Of course, it still contains all the facts you need to make an intelligent choice, And now more than ever, people tell us it's the most comprehensive booklet available. But what's more, if you call now, I'll send you a free subscription to Personal Appearance, the new men's grooming newsletter. This latest issue has some really useful articles, including an important discussion on the minoxidil drug controversy. For example, are there any side effects? What percentage of men grow hair with it? You really should read it. To get Personal Appearance, and our own hair replacement booklet. Just call our toll-free number now. And remember, I'm not only the hair club president, 
But I'm also a client. And then you see the picture of him without hair. You see him with hair. It was cool. 800-848-WABC. Paul is in New Rochelle. What do you have for us, Paul? Hey, Frank. How are you today? Well, uh, I'd say I'm about a 9 out of 10. All right. Sounds good to me. You you remember the commercials? Well, you might you might even be too young for this. The Neville, it was a resort in Ellenville, New York. I do. I do remember that. Yes. Now, the Neville was uh, the, given the name by the owners uh, who had 11 children, and it was 11 spelled backwards. Oh, is that true? I didn't know that. That's true. Yeah. And it's uh, off, you can see it from Route 52 going through the mountains, in the Shawanagunk Mountains in uh, the Hudson Valley area. And it is now abandoned, from what I understand. That's interesting. And it is a beautiful I, I, property. I, I wonder why it's abandoned then. Yeah, it's abandoned. It's, uh, it might be in uh, a family you know, feud. The 11 kids might be fighting well, over could, the value of <laughs> that it. That could knows? be. That could be. That's a good one, though, Paul. 800-848-WABC. Neil is on Staten Island. Hello, Neil. You know, Frank, when I was uh, – my, my son was Carmine's age. I would lay in bed at night, hold him on my stomach, and I'd watch him TV. And the commercial would come on for Sheep Set Bay, Rolling Roaster. Not so fast, Rolling Roaster. Oh, yeah. Fast. Oh, no, I remember those commercials. The, the kid would wail in laughter. I mean, if he Carmine's age, he couldn't stop laughing. And I'll, I'll never forget that commercial. Yeah. Do you remember briefly when there was a Staten Island Rolling Roaster on Richmond Avenue? No. no yeah. I'm, it, I'm not. A, I'm from Brooklyn. I'm not. A, I'm all right. Well, all right. Well, we, we do. Those of us that are from uh, that that other borough, we do remember our Rolling Roaster. But, uh, of course, world famous Rolling Roaster for roast beef sandwiches. But I'd say as a baseball fan, I always got a kick out of commercials for the money store. Now. Uh, years later, they would use Jim Palmer for the money store. But in the 80s, there was only one legendary New York Yankee player and announcer that was known as the face of the money store. Oh, are you as confused as I am about these new tax laws? Ugh. Thank goodness you can buy all the things you need with a fixed rate second mortgage loan as low as today's prime rate of 7.5%. That's right, 7.5%. Best of all, the low interest payments may be fully deductible. Qualified homeowners get instant approval. Call the money store toll-free. Dial 1-800-221-9000. Now, do you hear the enthusiasm in Phil Rizzuto's voice? Now, that commercial is 34 years old. That makes me want to go borrow money from the money store. I mean, that, you talk about an effective pitch man. Am I right, Jim? Yeah, hello? Hey, Jim. Oh, yeah, okay, thanks. You know, great topic. I just happened to wake up, and I heard what you guys were talking about, had the call in. Um, I was going to say the money store also, but I believe Joe DiMaggio also uh, did the money store. No, 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 no. I remember these commercials, too, because I'm a baseball fan. I was always more attuned to the baseball commercials. Joe D. did not do the money store, never did the money store. That's like saying, um, you know, Mickey Mantle played for the Mets. Joe DiMaggio did Bowery Bank. These past years, people who never made a clutch hit in their lives for New York have done a job at putting it down. While some fled the city, and others hid behind locked doors. When I broke into baseball, the remnants of the Depression were everywhere. And you could smell the coming of war. But this city never gave up, never stopped building. Because building is what New York is all about. 
building bridges, towers, tunnels. But more than that, we built communities. A community of minorities. We have been in a slump. But we won't beat it by slinking around with our tail between our legs. You beat a slump by standing up to it and swinging. Again, and again, and again, this city wasn't built by frightened people. We can choose whether New York lives or dies. Choose life. New York rises and falls. So, uh, Jim, does that bring back some memories? Barry yeah, Bank? yeah, my, my bad, my bad. I, I, we forgive you. We so, forgive you. I, okay. I knew Joe DiMaggio did something because he always looked dignified and with the suit on. Right. But I have one other that I'm going to go because I'd like to hear you talk about it if you remember it. The Carvel commercial with the old gentleman who was the owner. Oh, yeah, Tom Carvel. Carvel. You know what? That was mentioned in the Newsday story about about this. And I remember the uh, uh, Fudgy the Whale, Cookie Puss, um, but um, and those were great commercials. But the thing that surprised me, and those were kind of the kind of commercial that I'm talking about, a little low budget, almost looking sort of homemade. But the thing that surprised me is I thought Carvel was national pretty early on and i always assumed those commercials were national spots were those lo- That's funny. were those local spots oh yeah, yeah i believe so absolutely absolutely um but i mean i just remember as a little kid i mean i'd hear those commercials and i just want to like run out or you know find ice cream anywhere but, now were, uh, were you a fudgy the whale guy or a cookie puss guy no you know i just remember like the gentleman's voice being raspy and then them like showing like the stores and when you say low budget and homemade, I mean all the way. Uh, that, that was it. No doubt about it. No doubt about it. But it is fun to uh, reminisce reminisce through the prism of nostalgia. So yeah, I but I guess he's right because look, there's a reason that the Newsday story mentioned them as well. Uh, but eight hundred eight four eight W A B C. Buddy's in Brooklyn. Hello, buddy. Hey, good evening, Joe. I'm actually Frank. Frank. It's okay. Um, Who did you think you were calling? Uh, no, I was thinking about Joe DiMaggio. Uh, he also okay. did. I'm, I am. Did I am frequently, coffee. frequently confused for Joe DiMaggio. I understand that, um, but he also did Mr. Coffee commercials. Remember those? Oh yeah. Oh no 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 no. Absolutely. But those were national. <laughs> those were not local. Yeah. Oh. And uh, what I originally wanted to call about was Nobody Beats the Wiz. Ah, that is a great one. Nobody Beats the Wiz. Yeah, and that's one they they satirized on Seinfeld as well. Those were good. 800-848-WABC. Michael is in Manhattan. Hello, Michael. Okay, a couple of quickies for you. The guy's sitting on the edge of the bed. He looks like crap. Oh, my God. God, I can't believe I ate the well, whole... Well, that was Alka-Seltzer, but I don't think yeah. that was local. I think that was national. Oh, you're only doing local stuff? Oh, well, I appreciate you, as right. always, paying such close attention there, Michael. 800-848-9222. Steve is in Oceanside. Hello, Steve. Hey, how you doing? Hey, there was a commercial years ago, and it had to be in the late 60s, early 70s. You were a big baseball fan. Do you remember Jerry Grody, the catcher for the uh, Of Mets? course, yes, Jerry Grody. Wasn't it Jerry Grote, not Jerry Grody? I, I don't know. They always called him Grody. So I okay. mean, you could call him whatever you want. But even on even the announcers, you know what I mean? Ralph Kiner and Lindsey Nelson, Bob Nelson, they all called him, they all called him Jerry Grody. In yeah. any event, 
they did a commercial. They did a commercial with his wife and daughters. And, and she, you know, they're from the South, probably from Texas. And she had the Southern drawl. And she'd be like, whenever, you know, I'm Mrs. Jerry Grody. Whenever we're at the ballpark, we always use Goulden mustard on, the, on, on hot dogs. I actually don't remember that. I'm going to have to go back and look that one up, uh, actually. And you know what? Um, it was Jerry Grody, I guess. I, I, I always confuse. I always think that Jerry's um, Jer- Jerry Groat was the namesake of Groat's disease. But um, I guess that's just a popular misconception. And uh, Groat's disease, a lot of people have braved, uh, have battled that. Uh, very bravely for many years, and uh, it's very tough. You don't always beat it. Just ask J.B. Smoove. Al is in Manhattan. Hello, Al. Good morning. You know about that place that's closing? That was in Prison Honor, too, I believe. Yes. Sure. No, it was very well known. It was a very a big part of uh, New York history and pop culture. Yeah, and you know, as far as what you just talked about, Ralph Kiner and everything, funny, this really has nothing to do with it, but uh, funny story. was. Well, then by all means, happened. bring it up, Al. He was he was Pat Zachary. He was a brand new pitcher for the Mets. So he went on the Ralph Kiner show. Kiner's and, Corner. Uh, yeah. yeah, Kiner's Corner. That's exactly right. And as a gift, he gave a fifty dollars gift certificate for Getty Gas. And it just happened to be a Getty Gas right across on Roosevelt Avenue. So after appearing the show, he was brand new to the area. He wanted to buy some gas. So he goes into the uh, the the owner's uh, thing, saying, "Hey, here's my. I want to get fifty dollars gas." The guy grabs a tire iron and starts chasing him out of the, the freaking gas station because he thought it was a fraud. You know oh, that's mean? funny. Yeah, so, that's funny. Yeah, and, and the other I was going to say, one was Lenny Clambar, and then there's one, my favorite, was uh, Mario Perillo, Mr. Italy. Oh, wow, those Perillo commercials. I know Steve Perillo, and he still does those commercials, but uh, you're right. Really? It pales in comparison to Mario Perillo, Mr. Italy. And, uh, you know, we're going to have to we, – we, maybe we'll, get, we'll try and get Steve Perillo on this show because Saturday Night Live recently satirized him actually with Adam Sandler really? doing those commercials, but uh, he had a good sense of humor about it at least. Eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. We'll do one or two more, and then we'll do thousand dollar minute. And then Ralph Romeo is uh, waiting in the wings to comment on all things. Amy is in Manhattan. Hello, Amy. Hi. I want to tell you about when my mom was in the living room hanging up a curtain. And this commercial came on, and the girl sounded so sexy. She said, take it off, take it off, take it all off. My mom, what is she saying when she was talking about shave cream? (laughs) My mom thought she was telling the guy to take off his clothes to undress. (laughs) That's very funny, Amy. You know, what what brand, you know, vaguely, but was that a local commercial? Oh yeah, it was on all the time. Yeah, I, I, the but time. I I thought that one was national also, but I could be mistaken. That's the problem with relying solely on memory for commercials that are thirty five or forty years old. James is in Brooklyn. Hello. Hey Frank, great show, love it. Um, I believe I be, I'm not so sure it was local, but the name of the store was Sims. An educated consumer is our best customer. I think that was a local commercial because I, rem- I, I, uh, I mean, I, I those those commercials I remember, but it wasn't as they weren't as cheesy as most of the commercials that we're that we're talking about here. No, it wasn't as cheesy as like a crazy Eddie commercial, right? Or, or even a like Nobody that. Beats the Wiz or a uh, right. a Perillo Tour Radio Shack. Did Radio Shack have a commercial? I don't remember one. 
I don't remember one. Doesn't mean that they. uh, That doesn't mean that they don't. They 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 didn't do it. But I don't remember one. Eight hundred eight four eight W A B C. Steve is in Manhattan. Hello, Steve. Salino and Bonds, and don't cook tonight. Chicken Chicken delight. Chicken delight. That's right. right. Those were more. Both of those I viewed more as radio spots than TV spots. Right. Well, I don't really remember, but I can tell you some about the uh, JGE thing. Now, that is the, folks, that is the genesis and the precursor to Crazy Eddie because it would start off, hey, you know, hey, Jerry, what's the story? He was the character in the commercial, and he would say, you ready for this, you hard hats? Come down here with your union cards and whatever it was, 10% off. I see all these commercials on the Internet now. That's why you, you can bring back and either you've never seen them or you could remember them. But come on, folks, the greatest commercial of all for all the kids out there. It is a national commercial. He likes it, Mikey. But, of course, the kids in that generation had to start a legend and say that Mikey had passed yeah, away. Yeah, you're talking about life cereal. Life cereal. Right. But to me, Steve, that is a totally separate category. Uh, commercials and uh, national commercials, even from the 60s, 70s, 80s, whenever. Uh, the, the charm and the low-budget nature of one of these local commercials is something that is an entity all unto itself. So you got you and guys like Michael, who most people think is really Woody Allen, talking about um, national commercials. You're having a totally separate discussion from the one we're having, the Grand Prospect Hall, Crazy Eddie, What's the Story, Jerry conversation. So you guys do your thing there. I guess that's how you are in Manhattan, right? You look down... Your nose at those of us that lived in the outer boroughs. (laughs) All right. Ralph Romeo joins me uh, next. And uh, if you want to try and win $1,000, you can. Just be the seventh caller to 800-848-9222. And you will uh, have an opportunity to answer 10 trivia questions in 60 seconds. Uh, Be the seventh caller right now to 800-848-9222. You can go ahead and call right now, and hopefully you'll be $1,000 richer in a minute. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano, 77 WABC. That is Genesis. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Always enjoy the opportunity to speak with Ralph Romeo. He is uh, an actor, a personal trainer, and a radio talk show host in his own right, and all around just an interesting fellow, kind enough to get up early with us this morning. Hello there, Ralph. What's the good word? Great to talk to you. Great to talk to you, Frank, as usual. Uh, thank you, Ralph. So, you know, I, I have invited you, in the interest of full disclosure, in studio to join one of our midnight panel discussions, but you have rebuffed my multiple invitations. What, what gives, Ralph? Well, I'll tell you that I, I've moved out of the city for oh. the time being. I'm way the hell out in the boondock somewhere, so it'd be quite a hike for me to get there. But, I see. So know. Ralph in Manhattan is no longer. Yeah, but don't tell anybody because I have to keep that. Um, you know, that's that's how I'm known, so we have to stay with that. So it's just between the two of us. All right. Okay. Well, Ralph, hang tight. Um, we're gonna we're gonna go back to you in just a second, but we have to give 
one lucky, lucky person an opportunity to win some money. The Other Side of Midnight presents... It's the $1,000 Minute. Answer 10 questions correctly in one minute, and you could win $1,000. Here's your host, Frank Morales. Thank you, Chris Libertini. Well, uh, since Matt in Manhattan, since the great Ralph in Manhattan is waiting in the wings, you either have to win or lose quickly. Are you up for the challenge? Matt, I got you there. All right. Well, we're gonna. Well, we will. Uh, we'll, we'll try. We'll we'll try and get another contestant. Matt is unable or unwilling to be on a quality phone line. And again, I will never understand these people that uh, call talk radio programs, especially if you're going to be in a contest on these horrible mobile phones. I just will never understand it for the life of me. We'll try and give Matt one more opportunity. Otherwise, we'll give one of these other people uh, that are on hold an opportunity. Uh, we, uh, Matt, we had Matt. Oh, good. I got you now, Matt. Much better. Okay. Ready to go? Okay. You ready to go. Okay. What do you call someone who plays the piano? A pianist. What continent is China on? Asia. What Saturday Night Live alum starred in the film Ghostbusters and Groundhog Day? Dan Aykroyd. Who? Oh, no. Oh, no. Bill Murray. Oh, Oh, I'm very sorry, Matt. Not a good performance at all, and not a great way to uh, put our best foot forward to the great Ralph in Manhattan. Give Matt a consolation prize if he wants one, though. Uh, uh, Ralph in uh, Manhattan, that's no reflection on on most of our listeners who would have known that the correct answer to that question was Bill Murray. Well, mistaking Dan Aykroyd for it. That's unforgivable. For unforgivable. Because, it is. Yes. Did you, I know you've done some acting. You've worked with a lot of uh, high-profile people. Did you ever work with Bill Murray, Ralph? Ne- never, never. I, I'd like to tell you yes, but no, never. You know, there, I, he, I, I always found his, his movies very, very interesting. He always plays the curmudgeon, but always remains, uh, or he actually emerges victorious and turns into a nice guy at the end, if you notice. That's right. That's right. You're right. Both uh, back in the 80s, movies like uh, uh, Scrooged, and then, you know, you had even more modern movies like Rushmore or St. Vincent. You're exactly right. Hey, uh, Ralph, the big story that everybody is talking about up and down the state is this Wall Street Journal story in which Andrew Cuomo has indicated an interest in running this year for state attorney general in a Democratic primary against Letitia James. Your reaction, one, do you think this is going to happen? And two, if it happens, where do you think it goes? Well, he put that foot in the water, if you will, if you notice, just to test the waters. It came out okay because, believe it or not, Frank, to me, he still has his fans. I mean, there are people out there today would vote for him in a heartbeat, and I think he's relentless, and I think he— he needs the limelight desperately, and I think he'll make his his bid his bid for for office. Maybe not the near future, but relatively soon. And actually, he'll do quite well. I, I really do think that. And see, to me, the most egregious part of his stint was what he did during the COVID crisis with the uh, the nursing home. I, I can, you know, the the other sexual uh, allegations. I never bought the fact, Frank, that he was a deviant. I don't see him that way. I think they were rather tepid. I don't think anything was done that was so, so terrible. But I can never forgive him 
for the fact that they were they made these beautiful makeshift hospitals right there at Chelsea Piers, probably put together by the former President Trump, probably the reason why they were never used, because we don't want to have the former—I'm not a fan of the uh, former president, but we don't want the, the, the president to have any glory in the fact that he created such a thing. So they were never used, and he dared—and I think of my mother, who's in a nursing home, unfortunately— he dared to put the COVID-ridden people with these old folks, these vulnerable old folks. That, to me, is unforgivable. Well, I certainly concur with everything you just said. But let's say uh, Andrew Cuomo does jump into this race in the next month, and he runs in the primary in June against Letitia James. Give me a prediction. James versus Cuomo, mano a womano. Where do you see it going? Um, I see Cuomo. Uh, doing quite well. I think he, I think he, I think he actually wins. I'm not a James fan, but that doesn't mean anything. I think she's an empty, can I say empty skirt? But I, I do think that Cuomo uh, will do quite well. I, I, if I had to predict, you put me on the spot, I think he, he surprises everyone and wins out. Wow. Um, that would be quite a political comeback. You know, I was listening last night on the uh, the Cats at Night show, and Bill O'Reilly said that if he were to pick who to vote for between those two, Cuomo and James, he would pick James and, uh, excuse me, he would pick Cuomo, he said. And Governor Pataki, who was on the panel as well, said that if it was his choice between the two of them, because since he doesn't agree with them on either because of character, that he would pick uh, Letitia James. So it's interesting that um, it'll be interesting to see where New Yorkers go on uh, on this one. Now, uh, one story I've been very eager to get your take on because you have a lot of experience not only as a talk radio caller but uh, as a, a talk show host in your own right is a controversy that has emerged at uh, Sirius XM. Sirius XM PGA Tour host Mark Lai made some comments on the air on Saturday about the WNBA, and uh, this is what he said in case people didn't hear it. You know, the LPGA Tour to me is a completely different tour than it was 10 years ago. And uh, I, I don't know if you were working that tour back then that long ago, Craig, but you could 2011 really, to 2016. You couldn't pay me to, to watch. You really couldn't because I just I couldn't relate at all. It's kind of like, you know, if you're a basketball player, and I'm not trashing anybody, please don't take it the wrong way, but I saw some highlights of ladies' basketball. Man, is there a gun in the house? I'll, I'll shoot myself <laughs> to watch that. You know, I love watching the men's basketball. I love watching the men's golf. I never used to like watching ladies' golf. But I will tell you this. I've been up close watching these ladies play because I used to have a, a big function every year called the Lucas Cup, and I'd have LPGA players and PGA Tour players. Good luck getting some WNBA stars to, to come play. I know, I know. They're, I'm off their list. I'm Jeez. sorry about that. Now, um, he was basically praising women's golf as he said he doesn't want to watch the WNBA. Uh, but those remarks, and I've never heard of this guy before, and I don't know anything about him or his history, but those remarks have cost him his job. He was fired by Monday. Do you think that was the appropriate decision, Ralph? Of course not. Uh, those remarks, you know, that was a mouthful, by the way. Talk about putting your foot in it. You know, you're, you know, that's that's exactly what happens 
once you get on that roll, Frank, and it's like a steamroller going and going. I, I talked about this on my show a little bit. I had never heard of this guy either, but of course he comes to, to the fore in a not very good light. But see, I can't watch the WNBA. I, I, I'm a basketball guy from way back, you know, go New York Knicks, 1970. I can't watch the, the WNBA. To me, this is like watching, going to the playground and watching, you know, I, I'm going to get myself in trouble, you know, a basketball game on West 4th Street or something like that. I don't want to see that basketball. I want to see the big boys at Madison Square Garden. But, you know, he, he, he spoke his mind. A good golfer, by the way. I didn't, I didn't mention that. This guy could play. I saw some uh, video. He's an older guy now, but he had his day. But, you know, I, I, I don't see anything that he said that wasn't his truth. And if you hire someone to, to pontificate on the radio, wouldn't you want him to be at least honest about certain things? I and, and not have to pull punches all the time? I, I, I Absolutely. And he tweeted after that controversy, but before he was fired, he tweeted, the fact that I can't relate to the WNBA does not make me sexist in any way. All you haters should listen to the whole segment where I completely glorified women's golf, which I love to cover. Uh, thanks for listening. Now, that wasn't good enough. Uh, he was let go by the Sirius XM, and I think personally that that was way... Uh, inappropriate. Even if his comments went too far, I do not think that that is a country mile within a fireable offense. Craig, if you look, if you look back, well, number one, if you say a thousand words, a couple of those words aren't going to be too nice, and that's the essence of talk, of, of talk radio. Sure. That's what it's supposed to be all about. It's supposed to stir the pot a little bit, but sometimes when you talk off the cuff the way uh, Mark did in this case. You get yourself in trouble in the cancel culture. And, you know, you see, when you try to apologize, this is this is always a bad move. One can never apologize for these kind of remarks because it just snowballs and it makes everything worse. Mm, uh, that is uh, absolutely uh, that is absolutely for sure. One of the areas where we've heard a, uh, a great deal about uh, wokeness or political correctness has been the the world of co- uh, comedy. Uh, have you seen a change in uh, comedians and their performances to sort of uh, contour to the present era in which we're living in? Now I'll paint with that broad brush. I'll say that they're not what they used to be, talking about when I hearken back to a Richard Pryor and a George Carlin. I'll say that, you know, you're going to see a show, if you're going to see stand-up, that's kind of tepid, kind of... You, you see them actually... Uh, can I say pussyfooting around up there, not doing, uh, not really touching on these very, um, you know, sensitive issues anymore. Uh, our friend Seinfeld uh, doesn't do the circuit anymore. He doesn't do uh, colleges anymore for a good reason. Uh, uh, Dave Chappelle got himself in trouble for a few remarks that he made. And if you heard Chappelle's remarks, they they were pretty, you know, you could take them in a bad way. But again, Frank, when you, when you leave that show, when you're going to see a play, you're going to see comedians, cutting-edge people up there on stage, you want to leave talking about it. You want to say, you know, did you hear that? And you want to have that, that nice talk at the dining, uh, the dining room table afterwards about what you just saw. If everybody's watching every word they say, you're not going to have that talk. And, uh, in effect, 
you're going to have a terrible, terrible uh, time when you go out and try to be entertained because these these people's creative juices can't be flowing. Well, uh, that is uh, that is very, very true. Hey, uh, one of the stories, one of the cases here in New York that's getting a great deal of attention is this Sarah Palin libel lawsuit against the New York Times. Uh, it's being heard right here in Manhattan right now. And uh, it uh, I don't know, it's a pretty interesting case. How do you see this case playing out, Ralph? It's very difficult to prove that the New York Times had uh, wanted to defame her character. They, they knew. In other words, Frank, they have to prove that they knew that they were going to destroy this woman. And, and that, that was their goal, I should say. They, they want, that was, that's what they wanted to do. I'm printing this story in order to derail Palin as best I can. But later on, the Times came out and said, of course, a mistake. And, you know, I, I, I don't like Palin. I think she's a dodo bird. But what do I know? But she's but she actually uh, she can't win this because it's so difficult to prove. Uh, I think they call it uh, actual malice. And that was a standard. And I think the Sullivan standard back in 1964, I believe, was set that it, to protect uh, an entity like the New York Times, uh, so they can criticize public figures like Palin. But uh, in order for her to prove, prove it, she'd have to do to really uh, go about her business and her lawyers actually in a very stringent way, and it'd be difficult to do. I, I think she loses out in this case. Interesting. It, it was a pretty glaring falsehood that they printed about her, though, that there was this clear link between uh, a map circulated by Palin's uh, political action committee and this uh, shooting involving Gabby Giffords. I mean, you'd think uh, that that's the kind of thing that they would at least check before printing. Well, now I'll tell you my personal opinion on that, since you said it. Something mentioned, I don't remember the quote, but the crosshairs, right? We got her to get them in the crosshairs. I, I, whenever I hear those kind of references, references, I shudder. I say to myself, man, that's, that's rough. You cannot. In fact, going back to Mark Lye for a minute, I think for the very fact that he mentioned guns, and I'll shoot myself and this type of thing, that was even more egregious to these people, and that's why he got canned more so than anything else. So when you start, when you start, when you play with that fire, you're going to get burned. And uh, I, I don't like her remarks. I thought they were, uh, yeah, I, I didn't care for them. I thought they could be taken many, many ways by some lunatic. And, and for for Gabby, uh, it, it actually happened, and that was a shame. But I don't think that she prompted it. I really don't. All right, Ralph, it is always a treat to talk with you. I'll look forward to our next conversation, even if it's not in studio and only on the phone. Hey, Craig, I'm going to try to get there. I really would say I like that that kind of thing that you do. I've heard it a couple of times. It's it's fabulous. I appreciate the invite whenever you have me on. Well, thank you, Ralph. We'll look forward to having you on again soon. Thank you. Ralph Romeo, ladies and gentlemen. He is a treasure in New York, even if he's no longer in Manhattan. Hey, you, uh, you know what else is a treasure? 15 seconds of fame. We are going to bring that to you next. If you want to comment on any subject, any topic for 15 seconds where we do not screen the calls for content, call us now, 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-WABC. 15 seconds of fame. Straight ahead. WABC. 
This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. Uh, if you want to stay in touch with me and uh, you were not able to get through on the phones, I got a nice uh, Facebook message here from Joe from Ronkonkoma who mentioned a good commercial, uh, Beefsteak Charlie's, where my dad worked for many years. And then, uh, then when they opened a restaurant, he was a waiter, and when they opened a restaurant in Staten Island, I think it was started a steak and brew. He worked there as a waiter as well. He made that transition with the establishment. But uh, that is a good commercial. But if you want to stay in touch with me, Facebook.com slash MoranoFan on Instagram at MoranoVision, M-O-R-A-N-O, Vision, or on Twitter at Frank, M-O-R-A-N-O. Uh, those are the ways to stay in touch with me. And, of course, you can always email me, frank.morano at wabcradio.com. But for now, it is time for... The Other Side of Midnight. This is 15 Seconds of Fame. William and Yonkers. I want to thank uh, Mary from Church, who informed me that at 103.9, 103.9 FM, can find Red Eye Radio now. <laughs> You're a real piece of work. John on Staten Island. Frank Morano should run for the assembly seat in the South Shore of Staten Island. He'd be a hell of an asset. Thank you. Uh, Frankie in Glendale. I still got 14 days left in Facebook jail. Joey from Ronkonkoma, did you ever follow the bouncing ball to Kutcher's? And whoever went to... I hear you, I hear you, I hear you. Freddie the German Cowboy in New Jersey, some nightclub. Mike in Staten Island. Hey, what about Tom Carvel with his cookie puss? Uh, Dino and son, Woodside, liverwurst special today. Pete in Manhattan. Sizzle morons, sizzle morons. Anthony in Edison. Yes, good morning. All the rotten, no-good Democrat politicians that are anti-gun, I mean, and anti-police, they should all come out and say, hey, we're going to relax our security details and show you how much we have faith in our policies. Gail in New Jersey. Hi, Frank. I just wanted to say that I remember the name of the actress who did that Noxzema, take it off, take it all off. It was Ganella Knudsen. Yes, you, you're, 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 she's right. And that was, I checked, that was not a local commercial. That was a national commercial. Jesse on Long Island. When FAN would have a contest. Arnold in Brooklyn. WABC 1968, Dennis and Close, Route 22, Union, New Jersey. Open 10 a.m. to 5 a.m. Money talks, nobody walks. All right, and finally, Patrick in the Bronx. Yes, inveterate gamblers and salacious shock jocks have turned me from sports to you, Morano. Good job. Welcome. Thank you. Happy to have you. All right. Um, we'll be back tomorrow. We've got an action-packed show for you.